and for the first time in, oh, I don't know, about five months, it is not a football Friday. That means extra time for effing around here. We got Mac Robinson on the board. We got Keith Britton, a.k.a. the assassin behind the glassin. And, yes, Daryl Ryder is back on an F-off Friday. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Ready to F-off right into the weekend. So the only time we can And can't, it's a long weekend. That is a long, oh my God. I'll get to that in just one second. We do have Guardians manager Stephen Vogt coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. And, I'm, I listen, I, I'm excited for the Guardians. I don't just base my excitement for baseball being back. Um, just on whether they spend $100 million every offseason or not. I think there's a lot of really young, exciting players on that team, and I'm excited to see whether they can surpass expectations. And I, Because here's the reality. Everybody frowns, oh, it's, well, sure, you compete in the AL Central. Yeah, you can, win, you can win the division. Yeah, I like that. I like that because that means you go to the playoffs. And we go to the playoffs, that means more money for the team. That means more baseball. We like these things. But I digress. Steven Vogt coming up. At uh, in the four o'clock hour, rather, and uh, yeah, you mentioned the three day weekend. You know what I love about this three day weekend? I never remember it's coming. Me neither. Like when you get into uh, what is that? Uh, Martin Luther King Day, because it's right after the holidays. You kind of are anticipating it, and so it's such an early holiday in the year, just that close to to New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, that like you're ready for it. This one, I always forget. I'm in work mode. And then Keith, about halfway through the, the week, goes. So, uh, yeah, so remember, we'll be back on Tuesday. I'm like, what? This is awesome. And, and by the way, can we just say, the whole, to all of academia, they've now started adding Friday on for kids so that kids get Monday and Fridays off. Where was this lark when I was a child? Where was the, hey, we're going we're gonna to tag on another day there. Of, of days off a four-day weekend for children do you realize how much how much how lacking of a parental supervision they're gonna have because mom and dad have to work my, my kids are high on sugar right now because mom's got to work and dad's at work god bless them they might they might have to beat us by like by the time i get home tonight when we go to eat some pizza i was gonna say yeah you really get monday off but when kids are off school too it's not really a day off um that's a fair point. It's kind of like a vacation with kids. It's not really a vacation. In this case, though, my kids are at such a cool age where they're 13 okay, and they're Nate. 10. It, well, your your son's too young to be cool. I mean, I'm sorry. That's a you problem. Uh, but, no, I'm kidding. Hot uh, damn. There ain't no beating this. But no, like my kids were like, so are we going to go bowling? Are we going to go to the movie theaters? Like, I want to do those things regardless of if you're there or not. <laughs> so I'm very excited. I, I just want to know where the... Uh Closing the schools down because it's, you know, five degrees outside where it was when I was a kid. I believe uh, you have to talk to people about uh, global warming on that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, now, now, now they, uh, we you know, did have, the, we actually did have, we one did of those not have cold kid. days growing up. Um, I didn't get cold days. We yes, had, you we, did. we had snow days growing you're up. You're tougher because of it. Yeah. Uh, well, you, I don't know about that. By I, the way, tough is not an adjective you would use to describe me. I <laughs> vaguely remember at least one cold day. That's not saying you're wrong. It, I'm just saying you're wrong. But to the extent that they yeah, have cold days now. Yeah, but I'm older than you. I'm a, I'm a, so the world I, changed in eight years. In, in is a what decade, yes. It, yes, the world it's not changed. not a decade. You're not the, a decade the, older the, than the me. The world has changed in a decade. It's eight years. Don't give yourself a full decade here. So the world completely, the academia itself for, for yes. young children changed yes. in eight years. Yes. Was there? Was they there got a, soft. They got soft. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's funny. I do have. Uh, I, I would like to attack this younger generation for being soft, but you know what? <laughs> we just don't have that kind of time on an FL Friday. Here's the best we do. I just think we should. I think in good taste, we should let it rest. We have more pressing matters. Um. So again, Stephen Vote coming up in the four o'clock hour. Very excited for that. Matt Underwood joins us as well. Uh, the play-by-play man for Bally Sports uh, at three today. So some good Gardos talk. We got some Brown stuff for you. But uh, Brandon Tierney was on the morning show, and we are currently uh, meshed. Meshed? Meshed? I don't think that's the word I want. We are uh, ensconced. That's what I was going for. In the uh, in the NBA All-Star break, which means the only basketball you, you get is either uh, the celebrity uh, game, the celebrity game, the Rising Star Showcase, which, uh, which doesn't really showcase any defense, or the NBA All-Star game, which doesn't really show any defense. It's just a lot of dudes jacking up three-pointers because, well, we can. Oh, and Donovan Mitchell is going to be jacking up a bunch of three-pointers in the three-point shooting. That's different. That's the point of that bit. All right? You're, you're stealing the luster when you do it in games. I digress. BT was on with Ken and Danny Cunningham today, and it, it was brought up the idea of the national media ignoring, the national media disregarding Cleveland's success, and here's what BT had to say. I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, who gives a rat's ass what the national media is saying? You guys woke up on New Year's Day, and you were barely a blip on the national radar. You were, what, two, three games over 500. I think you were 18 and 15. Mm-hmm. Now you're 36 and 17. Who cares what people are saying? I don't know if there's a better team. You know, the Celtics are playing well, but the Eastern Conference, the Knicks have stumbled. The The Bucks can't stop anybody. They're scuffling. Philly's banged up and scuffling. You guys are good. I mean, I'm here to give it up. You guys are good. All right, so... This is good. This is a little bit of who are you to say this? I I mean this in all all due respect to BT. I mean we can't beg for national attention, and then you get it, and then you're like, well, it's that. Well, no, my 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 point is no, no, no. My point is BT is from New York. New York farts in anybody's general direction, and they get national. Like, hey. Hey, should they trade Daniel Jones? Uh, which, by the way, isn't happening. Uh, okay, we got to do uh, five hours on Get Up about it. Like, in fairness, it's easy when you are constantly on the national consciousness to say that. Like the Knicks guys, the win the Knicks win five games in a row, and they are front page on ESPN. Are the Knicks back? They're they're like the Texas of the NBA, and so some of this to me is like, yeah, you've never been here when you come to Cleveland. And you have to deal with a team that won 18 of 20, being the third, fourth, or fifth back uh, backseat story on ESPN every night. Then you come tell me how it doesn't matter what the national media, because there's a difference between the national media talking crap about you. That's one thing. Versus, which, by the way, they never hesitate yes. to take the opportunity well, to dunk on a Cleveland team or know, a Cleveland player. You know, the funny thing is, I think now we've gotten to a point where it's much more likely that they just ignore you. Specifically yeah. with the Cavs. The Browns are a little different because the the Browns is the Browns. And and the Browns provided decades worth of comedy gold. Well, and I think because of that, I think I think national folks understand if you write or say anything about the Cleveland Browns. It's gonna get the clicks be, and yeah. a reaction. Yeah. But like the LeBronless Cavs don't have that track record. Right. And so I do think like it, and I listen, I actually agree with him on the theory of it. But there's a difference between, oh, they're not taking you seriously and they're just not talking about you. And that that's what I think is 
is particularly disrespectful when other guys in similar situations to what Donovan Mitchell is doing, when when they're getting talked about more, that's ignoring. When when again, it's it's Sports Center and the the Cavs are the tenth story on Sports Center when they're literally the hottest team in the NBA, doing something that three other teams have done from a net rating standpoint previously. That's when it's, okay, it's not that I care what they think. It's I care that they're not paying attention to what the Cavs are doing. Those are two wildly different conversations to me. Wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me ESPN's news judgment might be off from time to time? Well, is, it, it, is that what you're trying to tell me but here, But it's Nick? not just ESPN. I, I mean, I... I I'm shocked it's, at the notion that you would think that ESPN's news judgment might be off. It is Fox Sports. It is it is uh, writing outlets such as The Athletic. It is like I, I I and to some degree I do understand. Listen, we everybody. I one of the things I hate is when people are like, oh, you do it for clicks. Yeah, everybody does it. Everybody's trying to get everybody to listen to them. You dumbass. That's the exact point of the game. <laughs> right. Whether you're in TV, like when when I. When an ESPN person or a sports center personality, uh, this is a story about clicks. Uh, you think? Yeah. No. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna write a story. Or I'm gonna do something on the air so that nobody the, listens or reads it. That I don't want anyone to listen to it. I'm actually I'm like the comedian in in West Virginia that's tanking. That's like I'm gonna clear out this house. That's what I'm doing. I want no one left by the time I'm off this. Just stage. give you a burrito. Yeah. Uh, fat joke. You know what? Actually, that's pretty fair. Yeah. In terms of uh, my... Clearing out the room, yeah. In terms of my my gaseous ability there. Um, but no. Pretty I, potent stuff. But do you see the difference between those two things? Like, do you, yeah. under, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, the NBA takes the Cavaliers seriously. And honestly, that's all that matters. I wish the NBA wouldn't take the Cavaliers seriously and life would be a little easier when on you the line the NBA? Who do you I, mean the I, NBA? I mean, the NBA as in, you know... Uh, the teams. Okay. Other teams. Coaches, Other teams. You. you know, coaches. How they whatever. prep for them. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, they are treated with the, an appropriate level of respect. But, yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I think that the, the reality is that um, y- if you're a Cleveland sports fan, Browns, Cavaliers, Guardians, you just can't expect much. It, it's, it's basically newsworthy when something nice is said about one of your teams on the national stage, similar to – the Browns sweeping the NFL honors. I did not expect that to happen. I thought for sure, okay, Miles My, Garrett's going to get the award, and then all the other awards are going to go in other directions because that's just usually how the national media works. Mm-hmm. I did not fi- feel like that those voters were going to give the Browns the clean sweep in all those categories. Like that was a once in a blue moon, the Browns got legitimate respect nationally for the season that they had. And it's so rare. I was shocked by it. Not because Kevin Stefanski wasn't deserving or Joe Flacco wasn't deserving or uh, Jim Schwartz wasn't deserving. It's just I didn't think it'd be realistic that the national media was going to recognize what the Browns overcame to finish the season 11 and 6, throwing five different quarterbacks out there for them because of the injury situation. You lose the guy you gave all the money to, and you still found a way to get into the playoffs. Garrett didn't finish in the top five in sacks, and everybody loves that votes, loves looking at box scores and stat sheets. I didn't think he was going to get his just due, even though I felt like of the awards, he had the best shot to win because we're just so used to the national media dumping 
on the Browns, the Cavaliers, the Guardians at every possible turn. So, you know, it's fine, for, I think, for us to talk about and, you know, Cavs fans to talk about not getting the Aretha Franklin treatment from the national media. But that's the last thing that I, I honestly believe when J.B. Bickerstaff says, I, I don't have the time or energy to worry about what the national media is talking about us. I, I actually do believe him. But privately, he's like, yeah, they ain't giving us any respect, boys. Let's go out and just start mowing people down. Like, I just, I, I feel like that that can be a rallying cry for the Cavaliers. 216-474-0092. So, BT was on with uh, with Ken and Danny this morning and uh, and basically blasted that anyone should care what the national media thinks. Do you really care? Do we really care what the national media thinks about this Cavaliers team? Daryl, do you go Gardos? Do you go Guardians? Do you just go Guards? Guards. I kind of like all three. I don't know why people don't like Gardos. I like guards. I think, well, but it's tight. It's clean. I don't. I don't like the Gardos thing. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. You know what it is? I think it's you haven't gotten used to it yet. It, I think like a lot of great oh, ideas. No, I, I, I had I had guards the moment they named the team. I was like, oh, they're they're the guards. Well, yeah, but so, so again, you you kind of closed your mind to other ideas. I think you just got to keep hearing it. Like I was anti Gardos. And the more I heard it, I was like, you know what? I think this thing. I think this. Uh, I think this is humming along here. I, I've said that they should have the hashtag on guard for the the like the the team uh, slogan thing. You know, like the Cavs have hashtag let them know mm-hmm. for the Guardians. Like they should be on guard. So let me understand this. You were dumping just a few seconds ago on Gardos, and but yet you love guard on guard as a hashtag. Yeah. Okay. Your your branding taste you're, is now revoked. You're. Yeah, sorry. I, like, I mean, it's not bad. On guard's not bad. My point is, but you're still revoking my branding taste. It's not bad, but you're gonna revoke my branding taste anyway. Well, no, because what are you talking about because you don't understand how something is adjacent to that that's also awesome. Gardos is not awesome because you haven't opened how, your mind to it. How is Gardos and in, in any way, shape, or form related fun. to Guardians? It's fun. That's what it is. Guards and Guardians relate. Make baseball fun again. I've been saying it for decades. And and old men like you want to go ahead and, oh, it should be guards. Oh, no, 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 no. You just got done telling me I'm only eight years older. You can't call me an old man. Well, now all of a sudden you're a decade older than me. Your old man calling privileges have been revoked. I don't think you have those kind of powers. I can pretend to. I think we all pretend to have a lot of different powers we don't have. (laughs) Um, All right, so we, we, we played the BT thing with Ken and Danny from the morning show where he said, why would anybody care what the national media says? And the reality is that's something you can say when you're from New York and you know, Oh, uh, Daniel Jones just threw an interception. Uh, should they go ahead and get him uh, out of New York? And then that's on every national talk show for the rest of the week or for the rest of the month. So like, I think that's a very privileged take by Brandon Tierney. I think people in Cleveland say this kind of crap all the time where they're like, I don't care about the what the national media thinks about our team. And then, but they do. Well, but then we're like, why isn't Donovan Mitchell referenced in the MVP conversation? Why isn't Jared Allen considered for an all-star spot? And so there's all these ways that we clearly care about it. And, you know, Cleveland has not. And listen, we actually lived a pretty – privileged existence as a small market, mid-market, whatever you want to say. 
as a not top ten sports market in in as ter- not terms being of, Boston, New York, yes. Philadelphia, or Los yes. Angeles. Yes, uh, uh, yes, exactly. I'll, I'll even throw Dallas in there. Yeah, I mean, I would throw. I mean, Miami has been that, even though they try and treat the Miami Marlins like a small market team, which I have no idea how that goes. Anyways, <laughs> I, I I digress. Um, Just because but, no one attends their games, but, even though they play indoors. Yeah, but like the Browns are not really ignored. Um, the Browns are a team that drives interest when you talk about them on a national level. It's why not I've everything. said for years the, the NFL wants the Browns or yeah. should want the Browns to be successful. But like the Cavs, like, could only- you imagine what Super Bowl weekend would be like if the Browns were in it? How bonkers it would be for that host city? It would be like the Waste Management Open in Phoenix. <laughs> it just be, it just you'd you'd have to raise the, the tickets raise the even ticket higher prices to keep the just to save. Out. Well, yeah, just to save the city. From just complete annihilation, it would be like right. the Huns are coming in, right. and it's just a bunch. Of, it's it's literally four hundred thousand Clevelanders drunk off our asses, you, just tearing things down like Kong. Oh yeah, you get what I'm saying. I mean, you know, whether it's the Cavs, the Browns, the Guardians, Cleveland fans are passionate about their teams, and and they're passionate about Northeast Ohio and the city, and the 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 l- remotest hint of a slight, whether it's toward Cleveland or yeah. one of the teams. Fans take up arms to, you know, but defend. The, but the two places where that's not true in terms of media interest in Cleveland has been the Cavs without LeBron. And it was different back like when the Cavs still had Mark Price and Brad Doherty. The media was a lot smaller, but yeah. but they were they were definitely covered to the pro they, the they were on extent. NBA on NBC yeah. all the time. But yet it's so funny because all I hear are guys like and, and this has changed a little bit now that they've got Donovan and they, that embarrassing playoff thing. When it comes to the actual digital media, I hear Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe talk a lot about the Cavs. Okay. Rosillo talks a lot. But when it comes to traditional media outlets, they ignore the Cavs. The things that matter in terms of your, how how much people are interested in you, like, and I, I always use SportsCenter, but SportsCenter, like Fox Sports, like all the big traditional outlets, just ignore the hell out of you. And here's the you know where it's most glaring, and I understand why it's most glaring with baseball. I mean, if you are Cleveland, Milwaukee, Kansas City, um, Oakland, until they go to Vegas, like if you are a small market team in baseball, it's as if you don't exist unless you have a good game against the Yankees, well, well, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs. And like one of uh, Cardinals, one of like seven teams in baseball. Well, that's because ESPN has to put the Dodgers, Yankees, or Red Sox on 24 7, 365 during baseball season. Yes. Well, it's, it's almost I'll, I'll like. I'll even throw the Mets in there. It's no almost, matter how terrible the Mets are, the Mets still have to be on national TV, too. But because those are the big markets, right? Mm-hmm. That's where, I don't know, whatever the population of New York is, 10 million people, whatever it is these days, like that, that's where the concentration of humanity is. And they, it's it's a layup for them. Well, but here's why I think it does matter. Here's why it does bug me, because it pays it plays into a narrative problem that towns like Cleveland have. The only narrative that people nationally want to engage in with the Cleveland Cavaliers 
is when is Donovan Mitchell going to be done playing in Cleveland? Right. And that, and, and, that take is, and then that conversation is getting cold buckets of water on right now because Donovan Mitchell doesn't talk like a guy who can't wait to get the hell out of here, and he's not playing like well, a guy. But they don't pay attention to that. I, I, that's I, the point. I, I understand that, but, but, but that's the only thing that drives it is just saying, well, he just doesn't want to be there. But psychologically, it's defeating as a Cleveland fan, as a Cleveland Cavaliers basketball fan, and then the second reason why it's damning is it starts to impact the way other people think of you, meaning in the league. So in the in the minds of players who who only see the the airport and the the arena uh, when they were in visiting in their Cleveland, hotel room, yeah, in between their hotel room, their perception of Cleveland is is now doubly tainted because you you haven't lived here, you haven't experienced the city. So it, I do think it matters, and I think this idea that you can just chuck chuck it away, no, because those those kind of nuances play out every single year. If you are a a fan of, I mean, I, the second what two years into LeBron here, it was when you're leaving Cleveland. Yeah, a year and a half into Lamelo being in Charlotte, it was when you're leaving Charlotte. I mean, that is because that the is, national networks have a vested interest, Nick. In the superstars being in the large markets. No, I understand. It, 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 it did ESPN or whatever other national sports network that's out there, it did them no good to have LeBron with the Cavaliers. It did them no good when LeBron wanted to come back to the Cavaliers, okay? Well, but that, see, what that to me is what kills me, and, is and that is the, what's short-sighted. I, I know, and you got the, oh, great, another NBA Finals in Cleveland. Well, but like, and they're and they're and you yeah. couldn't see me do it because we're on the radio. But I rolled my eyes because that's that's how these these folks that don't spend a lot of time here that, as you said, they do the fly in game, fly out, like they don't realize all the cool stuff that's here. Well, like, but when you start to take narratives and perceptions, then that bias gets applied to things like MVP awards. And so not only does Donovan have to contend with having played in Utah and Cleveland, two markets that get zero attention, but also he's he's now in the in the afterglow in the in in the shade of the legacy of LeBron because he went to the team that LeBron played for. And it just it becomes this self-perpetuating thing that it that this monster feeds itself. Yeah. And so again, respectfully to to Brandon Tierney. Brandon Tierney's never had to do this here and see great players shorted. Like if Clay Matthews was a New York Giant, Clay Matthews would have been in the Hall of Fame during his actual first 10 years on the ballot. 100%. And, it, and, and that goes to several different Cleveland Guardians. That goes to several different Cleveland Browns. Several different... I don't know if I can. I don't know. I don't know if I could argue the Browns. They got 18 Hall of Famers now. Well, they're, okay. they're, they're, they're doing pretty good. Now. How, how many with, of with them the, have been? The, the only one that I object to is the Clay Matthews thing because okay. you're 100 right. But I also blame the Browns for that because they did a terrible job. If they did, and I'm not saying that Joe Thomas was unworthy of it. Don't don't misconstrue. If the Browns did for Clay Matthews Jr. what they did for Joe Thomas in that election cycle, election year, whatever. I think Clay Matthews would have had a better shot to get in uh, before he went to this uh, seniors committee where he basically has no chance in hell to get in now. I don't disagree with you, but my, I think my point is that we just described political machinery, and that That's cheapens fair. the Hall of Fame. That cheapens uh, – like, I don't – like, I care about 
NBA MVPs, if Donovan got one or got serious consideration. I don't think he's the clear, far-away MVP today. But at least getting, like, seriously one of the three guys being talked about it, I think matters. Because, one, that kind of attention is what players want. There's, I mean... Talking about self-fulfilling or self-feeding machines, the yeah. whole reason I want to play under the bright lights at Madison Square Garden. Look at so, Miles Garrett this year with the Defensive Player of the yes. Year, right? I mean, from the day he got drafted, he said, that's on my checklist to accomplish. I want that on my resume when my career is over, that I want a Defensive Player of the Year. Then as the season started getting late in the year, right, and the Pro Bowl stuff, the uh, balloting started and all that, what Kevin Stefanski comes out, hey, Miles Garrett's the defensive player of the year. Jim Schwartz comes out. Miles Garrett's the defensive player of the year. Miles's teammates come out. Miles is the defensive player of the year. And then guess what we guess what happened? I write about it. I talk about it. My colleagues in, in the local uh, you know, Browns beat, yeah. they write about it. They talk about it, right? And it ended up that that campaign, if you will, paid off. Miles Garrett won his defensive player of the year. Box checked. He's going to Canton someday when he's done playing the game. No question in my mind. But when we but, talk about the to the totality of health in sports, I don't see how leagues and how TV networks don't realize how self-defeating this is. Yeah, LeBron well, proved you can be LeBron in Cleveland. It never impacted ratings. It never, it never impacted, impacted his, box office. It didn't impact his bottom line, his ability yes. to get endorsements, his ability to be a global brand. Yes. Absolutely. You can do that from anywhere if you are a special talent, including here in Cleveland. So it's clear that when those players get the attention they deserve, it doesn't hurt the global attention of the sport. What's also clear By is the that way, when there are you Cavalier don't, jerseys in China being worn. That's in China. But what people don't understand is the opposite is not true. When you fulfill these, or when you continue to feed these self-fulfilling prophecies of, well, no, he wants to go there. The weather sucks. Don't we don't pay attention to it? Yeah. That does have impact, and that's what's infuriating. They feed into the one myth, which is, or they 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 benefit from the myth, or sorry, from the reality of, hey, yeah, look, that guy can do that in that market, right? So they they pimp the hell out of that while ignoring the own destructive way that they cover the sport. And that's what's the kick in the, you know what's, Tiger almost got out of the cage to be in Cleveland or to be in Charlotte or to be in Portland or to be anywhere else. And that's why it does matter. When you when we say it doesn't matter, right. that's just being cynical and, and, and disregarding the reality of the situation. I, I think something that the NBA and Major League Baseball has to understand is the value of the small market. The NFL values the small market. All markets market. matter. Can we, can we use that? Is that, is that, some, or is that co-opted by something else? All I, markets matter. I, I I think it works. Okay. I mean, you know, Jacksonville kind of limps along the Jaguars, so they support that by having them go play in London a couple of times a year or whatever. But, like, in the NFL, everybody, you go into training camp every year, or at least in your offseason, right? Free agency's coming up, right? Everybody's got a shot to fix their team for next season. Right now, the Chiefs are the king. They won the Super Bowl three or five years, but guess what? Everybody in the NFL right now has got an equal shot to fix their team and compete next year for a Super Bowl. Now, the reality is I'd probably say 20 of 32 teams realistically go into training camp feeling like we got a shot at making the playoffs and getting in the tournament and competing for something, right? Mm -hmm. In Major League Baseball, with all due respect, and we're going to talk to Stephen Vogt uh, coming up here later in the show, but like with all due respect to Stephen Vogt and the Guardians, like 
as we sit here right now, do we really feel like the guard? They're talking about, hey, we expect to compete. We expect to contend. We believe we can make the World Series even. Do we? But as a, if you're a Guardians fan right now, do you really feel that way? No. But again, that's perceptional. Because and, and the 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 competing thing's really important because in sports like baseball, the competition is in tiers. But when you there are teams that compete for a World Series right. versus teams that can compete to win a uh, a playoff series and, and teams that compete to win a crappy division. And when's the last time the Yankees won a World Series? Has Major League Baseball completely gone in the tank because the Yankees aren't winning every year? I mean, listen, if I see another Red Sox Yankees game on ESPN, I'm going to want to throw something. Because guess what? They play, well, it's like 16 times now a year now, down from 19. But they play enough a year. It's not that special anymore. I think you and I might disagree on this, but part of the conversation that that, that popped up uh, after BT had, uh, had something to say with Ken and Danny this morning was the idea of whether the first half of the season should change the Cavaliers' expectations moving forward. And just just to be clear, you think the expectations remained unchanged, yeah? My expectations remain unchanged. Do I mm-hmm. need to lay those out for you? Uh, real quick. It wouldn't be the worst thing if you did. Uh, advance to the second round and go no less than six or seven games in that second round. You can't, you can't advance and then get wiped out in the second round. So I think the... Where you're talking about is a, is a, is is where my expectations have been all year, because I think one fatal flaw in how we've thought about the Cavs is just because they got dusted in the playoffs last year that that we should minimize our expectations this year. Yeah. And I I understand the theory. I just think like because you didn't take the step forward last year and and win a playoff series, now you have to almost take two steps forward this year. But I, I, I got to be honest with you. I've been right where you were for most of this year. And there was something about this week in thinking about where the Cavs are. I understand. I, I think a lot of us have been lowering the bar for the Cavaliers because we don't want to be disappointed if they don't meet the bar. I, I don't think I've lowered the bar at all. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about you. But I think in terms of, of we've not said where I think after the first half of the season – what they've done, I think it's I think it's totally logical that you get halfway into a season and you change your opinion. And I understand that there's wait and yeah, see we with did the that. We did, we, we did it the last year with the Browns. I mean, hell, we do it with everybody. But for some reason, we're not willing to do it with the Cavs. Because I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, I think the expectation should be you get to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. See, here's the thing. I and I'm going to play the I've covered a lot of playoff games in my life card here right now. Um, I, I just, just means you're old. I, I know how only eight years older than you, uh, as you continue to point out. The um, I know how difficult it is to advance through the NBA postseason. Mm-hmm. E- and even with like having LeBron, the, the greatest player of a generation, right? I saw how tough it was for those teams to, not LeBron 2.0, but LeBron 1.0. Mm-hmm. And it reset the way I view postseason success. Mm-hmm. And and saying whether or not a team season has been a failure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's why I kind of really I get the Browns haven't won a, a a championship since 1964. They've never played in the Super Bowl. I, I get the disappointment there. I understand the Guardians slash former Indians have not won a World Series since 1948, right? Mm-hmm. And they're the only franchise to lose Game 7s multiple times. Um, those are really hard. Like, 
it, it I so can I the can Guardians I, advancing to the like it's hard to get there. I so and, I agree so with the I generalized just, statement that it's hard to win in the playoffs. I just but can't what, say what does it's that a have failure to do with this specific team. Well, it, I just I can't say that the season's a failure if the Cavs don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, but I see this is where I think we do the thing, and this is a sports talk thing. It's a failure. It's not a failure. Like I, well, like, that's, I, think I mean, that's kind of how some... I'm taking. That's kind of how I'm taking what you're presenting to me. That like I'm going to be real disappointed now. I can because of the way they performed in the first half of the season. They're the number two team in the East. They show they can beat anybody. Will you Donovan be disappointed? Mitchell should be in the uh, MVP conversation, so they should be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And if they're not there, I'm going to be disappointed. Well, Am okay. I putting words in your mouth? I mean, a little bit maybe, but how? I think I think the point is the point is that like. If your expectation going into this season was clear the first round, be competitive in the second round, which is it? That's what my expectation okay, was, then, and they are on track to meet that expectation. Okay, but then on track? They're the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they're on track to meet that expectation. No, I mean, you're one of the two best teams in your conference. I know. They're on track to meet the expectation. No, the expectation. They're, they're ahead of the track. Being a top two seed, the expectation becomes you should be have, one of the final two teams in your conference. I don't yeah? have the expectation they're going to finish as the number two team in the East. But see, okay. I, so, now, my so expectation is that they will finish the number three team in the East. I'm giving them the latitude to slide one spot down. I, but, okay, so maybe I'm being hyper-literal on the top two seed thing here. I think you but, are, but, but that's I okay. Think, but I think the reality is... The Cavs are playing as good of basketball they've ever, uh, not ever, recently played without LeBron James. And I just think... I, I would argue that they're playing as well as they have with LeBron James. I think that's a little bit hot for me. But about... Uh, uh, 18 honestly, and 2 is too... That's hot? From the net rating standpoint, they're you're actually and, correct. They're 18 and 2 in their last 20 games. How the, is that a hot take? The net rating that they had in 20 games is better than any of the, the Cavs-LeBron's finals team. So that, including uh, 2016. So that is fair. I, I will I will not fight you there. But here's my problem with this idea of there's expectations and then there is we have to understand the weight that is on the Cavaliers this season. Yeah, there's and a, the weight I, of so like there is some gray room in which, hey, if you win that first round series and you go you push uh the second round of the, the, the series a second round series to seven games. Yeah, there. I don't think anyone will be tremendously disappointed. You'll be naturally disappointed because they had a chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and it was but, a great run, but you and can't, entertaining, and all but that. But you right. can't kill them. But what I'm saying is, here's why the expectation should be the Eastern Conference Finals because you need to do it. Not from uh, do we like you or not. You need to do it because the future and and the immediate future of your franchise relies on it. If you can get Donovan Mitchell to the place he's never been before. He's been to the second round of the playoffs before, right? He's been to, but not uh, to a game seven it. before. But, but that's not the point. He's you got to get him past where he was so that you can go ahead and have a chance to build a real future with him. And listen, I can't tell you if the scenario you drew up means he won't be here next year or he'll go to them and say, hey, I've been here before, I'm out. Well, that was but the I question I was going to ask you is, okay, so if they uh, – get to the second round and they don't advance to the conference finals, that's going to be the difference between Donovan staying or leaving? No, like, but really? I th- no, but I think it's one game. One game is going to be the difference? Yes, it could be. So here's the problem. I'm not speaking in absolutes with Donovan. Okay. I just know the impact and the importance of getting where he hasn't been before that's in fair. this spot. That's fair. And it doesn't mean he would automatically, if you don't get there, it doesn't mean he leaves this summer or forces a trade. But 
you uh, we've been in the gray area with Donovan. At some point, you can't be in the gray area. You need to be in an area where he feels like he can pursue his legacy because as an undersized guard, he's probably also thinking, I don't have 10 years like LeBron. I might have five years. I might have four years. I got to I got to I got to make hay now. I got to do it now. So like I get, hey, they did this and it's a lot guys, progress isn't linear. All right, that's not how it works. So if they are a better team by far this year, if they are a deeper team this year, why are we hedging our why why are we pulling punches when it comes to expectations when there's so much on the line? Like that's what's crazy to me. There's a difference between I'm going to kill them, I'm going to kill them on the radio every single day if they don't go out there and do what I said expectationally. And then there's what are the consequences if you don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals? So you go into the break, you're the second best team in the uh, Eastern Conference. I think you're the third or fourth best record in the NBA in general. You're on pace for 55 wins. You have a guy who should be in the MVP conversation. Let, then go prove it. And that, and by the way, that's a lot of pressure in the second half. Okay, that's how that's the NBA. That's how it works. There's a right. lot of pressure in the playoffs. So to this, me, the pressure the, doesn't start until April. But you're not the little engine that could anymore. And we have been treating this team like I think I can, I think I can, I think I can for two years. No, there's no more. I think I can. There is. You do. If you don't do, there are real life implications for your coach, for your for your team, for the the direct ability to contend next year. That's what this is, and to run from those, I think, would be disingenuous. And and I think, and I I would not have said this in October. Well, I just saw twenty of the best games in in Cavs history. Now it's time to have expectations. You can't say I want more coverage. I want more people to pay attention to me. We deserve more, and then go. But don't have those expectations. You can't do it. I, that, that this is where the rubber meets the road over the next thirty games and whatever you do in the playoffs. I think that them finishing a top four team in their conference in the regular season and finishing a top four conference at minimum in the postseason. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Is an acceptable result. Baseball is back, kind of. I mean, it is back. Because it's back. spring training. Well, but it doesn't feel back if you're in Ohio and they get to enjoy the Arizona sun and I don't get to see meaningful games for another two months. Although no, it's not like I'm poo-pooing it. I'm very excited. Although if they're just down there stretching right now, I don't know that you can say baseball's back either. So. <laughs> two war wars. <laughs> Worry about stretching? Sorry, I got to go Bob Wiley. Anytime somebody says stretching. Said hut. <laughs> no, it's more of a hut. You got you to get the, it's a guttural I, thing. I, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, you, you can. Yes, you're right. I can. Damn right. I can. <laughs> and uh, I can go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline and welcome on a uh, guardians play-by-play man for Bally sports. The legendary Matt Underwood joins us. Welcome to the show, Matt. Well, thanks for having me guys. How are you today? Uh, doing really well here. Uh, we've, uh, we've argued about sports and now we get to talk about baseball. <laughs> what more could I ask for? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, 
that's just another day in America, right? Let's go. Is it warmer down there now? I know last year was a whole lot of fun in uh, Arizona. Is the weather better this year so far? You know, I will let you know tomorrow. Okay. I uh, I will be arriving tomorrow morning, and uh, and then uh, next Saturday we will have our first uh, telecast uh, on on the Valley Sports Great Lakes as the uh, Guardians get the Cactus League schedule underway against the Cincinnati Reds. So, yeah, I'm excited to uh, to get to AZ and you know, see how Stephen Vogt puts together his first Major League Ball Club. So what billionaire or performing artist uh, private jet are you flying to Goodyear on? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know. It's one of those big, big common carriers, you know. Oh, you're not taking uh, the uh, the Guardians prop plane for Major League? Yeah, no, that, that was, <laughs> that's been retired. That, that's been retired, I hope, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, it sounds like Jeff Bezos is to me, but you know, keep it on the down low. I like what you're doing there, Matt. Um, so obviously, this year there's a changing of of the guard. Tito retires. Uh, it's Stephen Vogt's uh, first opportunity to run run spring training. Where's when we, when we start thinking about that adjustment, going from bullpen coach player to now being the manager? What do you think the biggest area of adjustment for a first time manager like Stephen Vogt is? You know what I really. You know, I, I just think it's all the stuff that you don't really consider when you take the job, right? When you take the job, I think you think about, you know, how do I manage the game? Well, he's done that his whole career as a catcher. So I think that's going to come second nature to him. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think, you know, handling a pitching staff, that's unique because, you know, you, you've got to know who's up, who's down. Again, he had his hand in that as a catcher, so he kind of gets a feel for that. And he's got – He's got a couple of great stewards that are going to help him through that. I mean, Carl Willis uh, has been a longtime pitching coach, so that's a great guy to be able to uh, to lean on. Uh, all he's got Sandy Alomar, you know, that's a that's a veteran voice uh, that's nice to have. I think it's all the other things, though. You know, it's the the media availability before the game, after the game. It's the front office, uh, you know, and this guy needs five minutes. This guy needs five minutes trying to allocate all of your time during the day so that when it comes game time, the one thing Tito was great at is that, you know, he blocked out a certain amount of time. I think it was like 45 minutes to an hour. You'd see him in the dugout by himself mostly. And that was his time to prep, get ready, start visualizing, trying to think about moves that he might have to make, you know, who's up, who's down, that kind of thing. So, you know, just getting all the stuff out of the way so that when it comes game time, votes ready to go that'll be i think just one of the challenges that you just don't think about having to clear your mind clear your schedule so that you're ready come game time yeah when you talk about challenges as a first-time manager matt uh, obviously the you know the challenges of uh you know managing a ball club uh like cleveland i mean he's not managing the red sox or, or the yankees with with endless resources and he's going to have to work hand in hand with the front office and things like that just how do you think that dynamic uh, changes or shifts or adjusts from, you know, you know, having a guy like Tito who's won a World Series and, uh, you know, he can push back maybe on something that he doesn't like uh, from the front office or whatever to, you know, vote now and, uh, you know, being in that chair and having that uh, collaboration, if you will. Daryl, the short answer is we don't know until we see how this plays out. The, the long answer is they picked him for a reason. I mean, he stood out to them when they talked to him. Uh, there was some understanding. There was some collaboration uh, that they saw or could foresee. Uh, I think I think Stevens, uh, look, he's a former catcher. So 
again, from, from a standpoint of running the game, he gets all that. That's, that's checked off the list. That's an important one, but that's checked off the list. Then it comes down to, can he communicate with the players? And I think throughout his career as a player, he showed that ability. He was very well-liked, very well-respected in every clubhouse that, that he was in. And so now the next big challenge is, how does he take all of that and work in collaboration with a front office? You know, these aren't guys in the trenches with you. These aren't guys that you know, are taking at bats or, or making plays or you know, making big pitches. These are guys who sit above and kind of control everything from a standpoint of roster, uh, budget, all those other things. But you have to be on the same page with them. If, it's, if that's a contentious relationship, it won't work because it won't last. Uh, if it's collaborative, but sometimes you butt heads, that's okay. That's healthy. And I think that's what uh, hopefully we will see grow over time. Matt Underwood on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Uh, this is probably the most stunted baseball offseason that I can remember. Uh, the Dodgers spent a billion dollars, and I would be surprised <laughs> if everybody else combined spent $250 million in baseball. So I, I am curious, like, you know, is this – because, you know, we tend to think, all right, the Guardians are going to do their work in December, January, and, and, and that's it, and then the, we'll kind of see where the roster is in July. Do you think there's still time to consider deals for guys like Shane Bieber and Emmanuel Classe who have kind of headlined the available players or, – or, or, sorry, the players that other teams have been calling about all winter long? I would I would highly uh, I'd say it's highly unlikely that you would see any trades. I mean, unless something just really somebody coming in and just called you up and blew you out of the water. I mean, I just don't think teams go to spring training thinking with that mindset. You just laid it out perfectly, Nick. You talk about the off season. You get into November. You get through the World Series. Teams start. Okay, what do we do? How can we make our team better? You know, we've got free agency, but what kind of trades can we go out and make? Now it's all focused on, all right, who's going to make our club? Who's on our roster? Who are depth guys? Now, if you suffer a catastrophic injury, which it happens, it happens in spring training sometimes, then that could accelerate trade talks and somebody swings and move. I think the more likely scenario between now and opening day is what free agents are still laying in the weeds out there that after a couple of weeks, somebody might say, hey, you know what, we could still go get so-and-so. Um, you know, I know there's some guys out there. I, I haven't checked, you know, the latest 48 hours. But I, I think that's a, probably a more likely scenario. You may see some veteran free agents that are still out there looking for a job. They might trickle into camp here in the next couple of weeks. Matt, what are you going to be watching for when you do get to Arizona? I think most importantly is, uh, you know, the, the young outfielders. I mean, and then and, and some of the young infielders too. But I, I think um, you know, like Kyle Manzardo, first base, DH, I'm, I'm anxious to see, you know, how, how does he look on a big league field? How does he look? Does he fill up the batter's box? Does the, you know, what's his swing look like? I'm anxious to see it in person. Uh, I'm also excited to see some of the outfielders like Estevion Florial, who came over from the Yankees, uh, Jonathan Rodriguez, who's come up through the organization, George Valera, uh, who's a guy that, you know, people are excited about as well. So, you know, I think you're always excited to, to go into spring training um, to see guys battle. I mean, we all expect Gabriel Arias will probably be the leading candidate to win the shortstop job, but don't sleep on Brian Rocchio. Uh, Tyler Freeman's going to be in there giving him a push, uh, and, and there's going to be some other guys that maybe we don't even see coming that, that just jump out and really 
um, make an impression on the manager, the front office, the coaching staff, and maybe they don't make the club out of spring training, but down the road, uh, you know, they find their way onto the big league ball club. Look, we, we all focus too much on what happens and maybe doesn't happen in spring training because we know the roster is going to turn over and change throughout the course of the season based on injuries or just performance. Matt, Stephen Kwan was electric two years ago. His sophomore year, there was a dip in numbers. It's not as if the man wasn't worthy of playing every day, but especially because he sits atop the lineup, the importance of Stephen Kwan. So I'm just curious, philosophically, do the Guardians, is there is there a thought that this was about the pressure those guys felt last year and maybe giving into that pressure of, of trying to get runs going? Or is that just kind of maybe the sophomore slump, if we want to call it that, for Stephen Kwan? Yeah, I think part of it's just the, you know, the ups and downs and growing and learning. I think last year there was a point, especially early in the season, I remember uh, there was a conversation between uh, Stephen and Terry Francona, and, and Tito basically wanted him to say, wanted him to know, look, I know you're going through a tough time right now, but you're my leadoff guy. I'm not going to jerk you out of the lineup. I'm not going to drop you down to seventh. I'm not taking you out of left field. Just go play. And, and it gave him the kind of confidence that, you know, hey, look, I don't care what kind of a rookie season you have until you're really established three, four years in the league. You're going to be looking over your shoulder if you suddenly are one for your last 10 or, you know, put up a two for 20 stretch. And so I think, I think that was good for Quan, and I think he's, uh, I think he's going to continue to grow. I think, you know, Rick Manning felt like last year there was, there's still, this isn't, we haven't seen the best of Stephen Quan. There's, there's room to grow for him offensively, and I think that, uh, I think he's a good guy in that leadoff spot. I mean, he's tough to strike out. He he works the count. He does a lot of the things that you like to see an old school leadoff type hitter do. Matt, one of the things that has just impressed me is from a consistency level is the young arms the Guardians just seem to crank out. It reminds me of the 90s, right? Albert Bell would leave, and there are like four hitters in the minor leagues ready to come up and, and take his place. They turned out hitters. Now it's the other way around. They're turning out these these pitchers left and right. Just what's your take and, and thoughts on uh, some of the young arms that are you know coming back in their sophomore uh, seasons? We, you know, Bybee was really great in my view uh, in the time that we got to see him. But just where are you at with some of these young arms and your expectations? There's a there's a level of excitement, no doubt, from what you saw last year. There's also tempered enthusiasm because we know that the game, it, it, it will correct itself. You know, sometimes a guy comes out, lights people up, uh, they make the adjustment, and maybe that guy's slow to make the counter-adjustment back again. We, we will see. Look, Tanner Bybee was, I mean, he was outstanding last year. Um, he was so much fun to watch just because he would go out and you could see the competitive fire that, that you know, burned inside of him. And then, you know, big Gavin Williams, I mean, my goodness, you, you can't teach what he does with that high 90s fastball, that kind of velocity. I think he'll work hard to, you know, be better with his command of that fastball so that his secondary stuff will play up. Um, you know, I think that also, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what else they have. And you talked about the farm system seems to be able to pump these guys, uh, you know, into the big leagues year in and year out. You've got uh, – uh, Joey Cantalo, who's a guy that we've seen in the minor leagues, and he's kind of made his way up the ladder. So this is a spring training where maybe he can go out there uh, and, and show some people. But but I think also, you know, I think the bullpen, it, it year in and year out, the bullpen 
gets more important, right? You hear it every year. I, you know, if you don't have a good bullpen, you don't have a chance. And I think last year with the injuries, they had to lean on the bullpen maybe more than than the average team. And and also because the offense didn't score a ton of runs, that bullpen was countered to hold, you know, a two to one lead, a three to two lead, time and time again. And so, I think that will probably be a, a, an area of focus for me. Who's going to round out that bullpen? Who are the arms? Uh, you know, is it going to be the same guys? Obviously, Scott Barlow is a newcomer that came over from Kansas City. We know he has closer experience, so that'll help uh, Emmanuel Classe in the back end. But, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that have had success. But let's see, you know, can they take that and really run with it like Sam Henches? I love Sam Henches. Big left-hander. You know that he's got the power arm. I want to see him make that big quantum leap forward so that he's a guy that when he comes into the game in the seventh inning, you're, you're not – the other teams, you know, they're slumping their shoulders going, oh, no, not this guy again. So those are the guys I'm excited to see. Can they take that big move forward to make this bullpen a lockdown bullpen? Matt, we've heard some promising velocity numbers on Shane Bieber on that first session. Uh, and I'm just I'm just curious, how does Shane Bieber returning to form from a few years ago, how does that change the math for this year, both for the rotation and just, you know, the, the, trying to contend in the central? Yeah, not not just him too, but but Tristan McKenzie. Uh, you know, those two guys to me are are really very important to this rotation. If those guys, you know, look, we you'd love to say, hey, they're going to make thirty starts. If, if they do that, then this team's in a really good position, I think. Um, and so that's that's the hope is that Bieber is healthy and he's uh, the leader of the rotation, and that Tristan McKenzie is healthy and he's he's not having to worry about you know, the injuries that sidelined him and really just tore up his last uh, season. Because, you know, two years ago, Tristan was just, he just felt like, man, the, the sky's the limit for this guy. So both of those guys really important. If they're healthy and they're pitching well, then then that just, that, that takes all the pressure. I shouldn't say all, but it takes some of the, the pressure off Bybee and Gavin Williams. Last year, you were counting on those guys to go out and pitch well to give you a chance to win uh, as rookies. So if you've got a couple of veterans that can go out there and set the tone, then I think then you've got a very, very good-looking starting rotation. Last one for you, Matt. we got about another minute left. Um, we got the news yesterday. Rob Manfred uh, let the choirs of angels start singing. He's going to uh, be done in 2029, which can't get here fast enough. But if I were to make you a commissioner of Major League Baseball, what would you do to move the game forward or make it better? Yeah, I I have to say I, I really was a fan of the time elements that they put into play last year. I thought they cut some of the fat. I thought that was all good. That was all positive. Uh, I mean, I've never really thought about this because nobody's ever going to make me commissioner for a day. But I, I just did the silly, the, the silly extra inning thing. Is like, come on, let you know, let's just play the game the way it's always. I don't. I'm not a big fan of putting a runner at second base. Uh, I think it changes too much of the game. I'm all in favor of the you know keeping players healthy. Uh, I think dropping a leg in front of second base, that's a good rule to get rid of that. that. That's, you know, we saw too many guys get, you know, running in there, jamming hands into somebody's knee. Um, you know, the, the, I think the the thing that I like, and if I was commissioner, I would probably be more uh, like Manfred in this way. He hasn't been afraid to make some changes. I mean, for the longest time, baseball for a hundred years, they, it moved at a glacial pace when it came to, uh, 
changes like the NFL. Hey, they're not afraid every couple of years, tweak the rules. NBA, put a three-point line. It's too close. Let's move it back. No big deal. But for the longest time, baseball was just change-resistant. And I kind of like the fact that now we're not afraid to, to tinker and, and try to find the right, uh, the right changes and so that you're never going to make everybody happy. But if you can make the majority happy and uh, keep the game moving forward, then I'm all for it. Matt, great stuff, man. Can't wait to hear you more throughout the season. We're excited for baseball to be back. Enjoy that Bezos jet. <laughs> I'll be in the back. Thanks. <laughs> that's well, that's the best place to be in the Bezos jet. Uh, Matt Underwood there on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Steven Vogt coming up in 32 minutes here at 4 o'clock. Uh, Guardians manager. Uh, excited to pick his brain on some of this stuff. You know, I, I don't think people understood the domino effect of last year in exactly why last year, because they were still getting quality starts from the young pitchers like Bybee and, and all these guys. So, so it was like, well, but your pitching's still good. Your starting pitching's still good. Well, one, you weren't pitching the same amount of innings right? because you had young guys on inning caps. So that started to eat at your bullpen. Also, it took two months to stabilize the rotation. You factor in the lack of hitting, and the fact that the hitters were clearly pressing early in that season and that kind of ate at the bullpen and then there became this kind of Ouroboros effect of you weren't hitting enough, you weren't uh, your starting pitching was really good, but you still weren't getting the kind of innings you're used to for the way your bullpen was built and then your bullpen just never caught its breath. And so I just, I don't think people realize how like perfect of a storm that was. Two years ago was a perfect storm. You hit enough, timely hitting, without power, you're a contact team, but you had flawless pitching both at your rotation and the bullpen. This last year was the opposite of that. So I expect something in between. And to what Matt said, if you if all five of your starters can stay healthy, if Bieber and McKenzie can then give way to Bybee and the other two young studs, there's I mean, you could not, not just compete in this division you could make a deep playoff run based on those five pitchers and a good bullpen. And I think people have forgotten about that. And I don't know that's going to happen. You can't forecast health. But, I, I mean, I think I think, I think, think Bieber and McKenzie, their health and being able to just, uh, just take it easy on those young arms so they would be crisp for October, I think will be huge in this team's ability to stay healthy. And that's before we get to the idea of whether you're going to be too good or not to trade Shane Bieber right. halfway through the season. Yeah, and obviously, I just don't want to even entertain that conversation right now because I'm hoping that Shane Bieber does return to form and they're in contention at the trade deadline and they are buyers and not sellers at the you know and say hey let's let's ride this thing out uh, with Shane and, and see how far we can get with what I call the three headed monster in Bieber, McKenzie, and Bybee. Mm -hmm. uh, Bybee was to me. He was such a pleasant surprise last season. I, I, you know, when they bring these guys up from Columbus, you, you're not really sure what to expect. Yeah, you know what the scouting reports say. You obviously know how the organization feels about them and stuff like that. But Bybee was a lot of fun to watch well, last year. What was the story that they were, the Guardians front office was hiding uh, Bybee at, uh, in spring training because they didn't want Tito to see him yeah. and get him like jazzed up about using him early in the season. Yeah. And it ended up being all a kind of a, a moot point because everybody they had, had heard. To. Yeah, they had to. But and I, so I, I think, I do think like underrated storyline, health of the pitching staff. Right. 
Here's one more. Well, I don't and, know that that's an underrated storyline. I think well, that's no, no. a primary storyline. When I say underrated, I okay. mean I don't think I don't think people realize the cause and effect. It right. was just well, the offense sucked. That is only part of why last year went as poorly as it went. But I do think to speak to the lineup. Another thing that I think we didn't talk enough about was how average Stephen Kwan was last year and how how bad Andres Jimenez were. And if even with as bad as your like five through nine were at points last year, if you just have the top three guys in your lineup doing what they did the year before, that that extra 10% goes a long way. And it's funny, like, you know, I, I tried to talk about Stephen Kwan last year, and there's this weird I don't even know what to call it. There's this weird disconnect in baseball where you can't just assess how a player you love. Like, I love Stephen Kwan. I love the way he plays baseball. I love the fact that he's one of the best contact hitters in baseball. His batting average was down 20 points from the year before. His OPS was down 30 uh, points. And his home runs were down. His strikeouts were up. He still walked, but, like, he still was selective but there were a lot more bad at-bats last year than this year. You want to go to bigger stats. His WRC plus went from 126 to 100. 100 is average. Yeah. And if you're going if you don't have a lot of power, you have to be the guy he was 2 years ago. And so like that to me is a huge storyline. And cuz the Guardians and and I kudos to the Guardians. They they did not deviate from Quan being atop the lineup. Cuz I think they want they they wanted to give him every chance. But this idea that he's just gifted and he's just nope, nope, he's going to be there the whole time. Yeah, guys, he has to because he doesn't have power. He has to be the guy that is hitting 300. He has to be the guy that's hitting 290. If we use antiquated stats, like that's where and he if he's and only going to hit a lot, and, takes well, a lot of pitches, well, works and, the count, and the strikeouts have to be down. I think last year I, I can't remember if it was I think he had five more strikeouts than walks. So even though he walked a lot... Which was a 180 from his rookie year yes. because, I mean, he had that incredible on-base streak. So, like, I just think... As a rookie. I think I think Jimenez and and Quan at the top of the lineup are huge, huge impacts to how the rest of this lineup falls out. And, and the good news is, I think they're both a lot better than they played last year. And I think a lot of last year was the pressure of expectations. And I think it's really hard. Daryl, you can speak to this. When you get... Um, when you get 80 games into a season and you've been pressing, it's really hard to hit reverse thrusters on that because at, because then all of a sudden your team is struggling as well. Look at Cam Gallagher last year, right? I mean, the, the catching situation early in the season was a disaster, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with Zanino. And it just – it was a mess. And then they had no choice. They didn't want to make the move. Like, they were putting it off. But the, it just it, – it got so bad they had to bring up Bo Naylor. Real quick here, we're going to go with Ryan. Ryan, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Hey, uh, Nick and Daryl. Hey, gentlemen. Hey, great conversation with Matt. What I tell you, man, you uh, asked a lot of questions. He got to a lot of scenarios in which he felt that um, he needed to address. And one thing in particular, Daryl, and again, man, it's a breath of fresh air hearing you talk all Cleveland sports, man. Saw you in action with the Browns at the Joe Thomas induction ceremony. Just you, your, your work of art. Uh, when you interview people, but now you're talking about all the all the sports teams, which I like. Uh, you asked the question, you know, the integrity of the game still being, you know, held at the same time. What can pe- people's interest in this new era of, uh, you know, just just instant gratification? Again, we have a sport, obviously MLB, that is is 
marathon-esque and um, longevity. And, again, a lot of us peaks aren't just with home runs, strikeouts, stolen bases, et cetera, and the time of the game. Um, I'm going to be seeing a lot of baseball this March. I'll be down here in uh, Florida, so I'll be seeing pretty much 15 teams looking forward to it. No Indians here in Winter Haven anymore than Goodyear. But just in particular, I just feel that, you know, me as an avid sports fan, especially a Cleveland fan, I want to really want to watch baseball still. It's just that just like a lot of other individuals, the, uh, something is lacking interest. Um, it just, it's not golf. But at the same time, it's definitely not football or basketball. So, so again, real, Darryl, and again, you real quick on that because I actually yeah. I, I think there's been something I've been talking about a lot, and it and I, I've actually made the corollary to college football. And I thank you for the call, Ryan. I think some I think people are getting the transfer portal all wrong. It is chaos. But every time you have Will Howard or Cam Ward or Caleb Williams go into the portal, I think that's generating national conversation. When elite players go into the portal. I think it's starting to develop actual conversation. And yeah, I think it's the for college football free agency. But I think the opposite's happening in baseball. I, I think the problem with baseball is a gigantic player movement issue. Because when only when when a, when when siloed down to the bottom are eight teams that can afford free agents, five teams that maybe can afford great free agents, and three teams that can afford elite free agents, that's problematic. And here's the thing it's not seven hundred million dollars, although that ain't great, Bob. It's the 13-year deals that these teams can't – that are just inconceivable to the Cleveland Guardians. And by the way, they're not good for baseball. Yeah, the, the like, Guardians – I mean, a, a five-year contract for the Guardians is a risk. Yes. It, well, it's, a, it's a tremendous risk. And by the way, it's Even a, at market value. Like, like, let's just say for the sake of discussion, right, that they, they could get a – they can afford to pay one tier one free agent, right, in mm-hmm. addition to what they already have with Jose Ramirez and whatever, right? And let, let's say that that comes out to $20 million a year. That just for sake of discussion. I'm mm-hmm. not saying these are actual numbers, but just throwing it out there, right? If they sign a five-year, $100 million contract, right, and that player gets hurt and, you know, isn't doesn't end up being what they paid the $20 million a year for, right? Mm-hmm. They're done. Yeah. They, 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 they can't overcome that. And I'm not criticizing. That's the system in baseball well, that's so broken. I'll do you one better. How about the Yankees? Carlos Rodon's six-year, $150 million contract crippled them last year alongside the Geo Stanton deal. Well, I'm sorry. I can't say anything cripples the New York well, no, Yankees. No, 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 but they, it does. It, it, like, it, in it terms cri- of— By choice, like, the, they can spend infinite amounts of money. Well, here's— They just make the, ch- they make the choice that they don't want to spend the infinite amounts I, of money anymore. I'm not anymore. saying they can't win. What I'm saying is it cripples them in terms of moves they can make. Because if you can afford four or five $200, $300 million contracts and four of them are locked up, right. half okay. of them aren't playing, the the trickle down is that's going to change who you can trade for and who you can sign. Okay, fair. And so if if, if it's impacting a big market team, I think, the, I think the Mets fell into that hard this year. I think the Red Sox. And again, some of this is reticence to spend and go to the tax. I mean, the, the, like, the, the Padres are a small market team that act like they're a big market team with and, some of the contracts that they hand and out. they got and, neutered this offseason too. Right, and they, and they have nothing to show for it. Like, th- this is when people want to complain about the money that's spent by the Guardians, okay? Spending money doesn't make you a good organization, yes. number one. Spending money doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, number two, mm-hmm. okay? Um, it helps. It increases your odds, but that's that's kind of about it. And but you know, you need your small market teams 
to have star power. You want to have, like, Jose Ramirez is a reason to go buy a Guardian stick and go to the ballpark, right? You need that in baseball, and I think that that's where they get it wrong. They think that, you know, by having the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, all these big market teams, you know, go on these billion-dollar free agent bonanzas in the offseason and buy up all the good players, that that's great for the game. It's horrible for the game. I do want to, before, because I want to land the plane on this. When you it's when it's no longer just the small and mid market teams that are being bottlenecked by these by the inability to to have a certain amount of contracts. So now they can only make certain kind of trades. Now a fair amount of big market teams can only make a certain amount of trade. Now you have a standstill, and that's what happened this off season. Yes, it was caused by TV money, but guys like the Yankees couldn't make certain deals because their ownership felt bottlenecked with some of those contracts. And I think that's where we are. And, guys, it's going to get uglier. And I think I think player movement drives leagues. I think it's why you see the popularity of the NBA. I do think the NFL free agency is huge. And baseball, because of very smart people who don't value the hot stove, they choked off the hot stove. Now baseball economics are choking it off even more there. I think I know a, a role that exists, that, that doesn't yet exist in the world that I think can help us from becoming the uh, plot determinator. Do tell. Because we, we already have Skynet. That is true. I I think we need people, and I'm volunteering for an exorbitant amount of money, that come in and go, is that idea really needed or is that really I- idea good? And then provide examples of how poorly things can go. And I give you... I'm pretty good at doing that. Um, I think I'm better. Plus, I want to make more money. I just, you know, I just want to be the guy that walks in and goes, knock that off. Like the dad of society. It looks like you're eating well these days in comparison to me. Um, That's always been the case. <laughs> yeah. Just because I have a, a refined palate for ho-hos doesn't mean you got to go ahead and take shots at me over there. But um, the NBA unveiled the NBAI, NBAI, which will allow fans to activo- activate movie mode and watch live games animated like popular films. Let Can I just be the guy? Perverts are going to ruin this one for the rest of us, guys. <laughs> All, right? All right? It's going to take one guy talking about a Bella Danger in his NBA game for things to go real sideways real quick. And guys, we don't need that. All right? I'm just saying. You think, oh, maybe this will be cool. And then you're not. And then you're divorced. And then you're homeless. Now, I digress. Uh, the example was NBA... <laughs> Why is it so hard to say? NBAI. NBAI. No, that's not how it is. No. <laughs> NBAI. <laughs> See? No, but it's NBAI. NBAI. You sound like C3PO. I know, and this is just ridiculous. It is NBAI. The, 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 whole, the whole concept here is ridiculous. But it's at, So the example is NBAI. Show me the Pacers game as if it were a Spider Man movie. I So the. the And you guys can see the. Show the, me a Lakers game. As showgirls. Um, I kind of would watch that, yeah. LeBron is Elizabeth Berkeley. No? Anybody? She had a peak, guys. She had a three-year window, and God bless her. And De- Demi Moore had like a 10-year window. God bless her as well. Actually, no, that that's still, she's still wonderful. Yeah, that's a 30-year run, Demi Moore. And you know what? You too, Elizabeth Berkeley. I don't know why I'm doing this. Anyways, you guys can go check. At Nick Wilson says... The rendering of what it looks like, 
Man, I think we might have reached my point in sports where I'm a little get off my lawn on this. Uh, let's just put it this way. I was in a certain technology store. Uh, is that the, the back other of day. the store where they nope, got the nope, curtains? No, no, hang on. And got to prove you're 21? They, they have a new uh, virtual reality device. Uh-huh. Where is this going? I'm just wondering why we've gotten to the point in life where this is a thing. So I do think the idea of like, and some of the, like the, the AI technology or so, sorry, some of the VR technology has been like, you can, it's like you're sitting courtside at the game. Like, are they going to give us a list of movies to choose from? Like, are we going to get to see Cavs, Warriors, Goodfellas style? Oh, now you're, no, but I want the Goodfellas montage. <laughs> as far as I could remember, the Cavs have not won without or LeBron James. Are, are we going to get Jazz and Lakers with the monologue from Basketball? Well, wouldn't it have to wouldn't it have to kind of fit the town, like um, like for instance the the New Orleans Pelicans, True Detective season one, or the Pelican Brief. Right? That just has the word Pelican in it. It has nothing to do with. Okay, I understand what you're saying. I'm not going to be negative about it, but no, I I I who's asking for this, and what purpose? At some point, we do have to start asking. Who's asking for the virtual goggles? Where like you're. Standing in the middle of a room, this is this is what I observed at this technology store, and I'm sure people can probably put two and two together real fast of what store I'm specifically mentioning. But mm-hmm. you're literally standing, and they're doing the demo. Is, does it end in for lovers? No. And he, they got the goggles on. They're doing the demo thing, and you're just like, "The hell you doing over there?" Well, yeah, because you look stupid if right. you if to somebody who isn't wearing those goggles. I think the point is, eventually, we're all gonna be wearing the goggles. Yeah, speak for yourself. I'm not. I'm going to tell you right now. You're going to go for that store that ends in for lovers. You're going to see the virtual technology, and you are going to be on your way to Space Station Pound Town in about five seconds. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is the thing you say you today, f- and two years <laughs> from now, when you are anore- when you are just when you are when you have like one percent body fat, and we've got to like give sounds you like-, like you've already taken it for a spin there, Nick. Yeah, well, because clearly my uh, my my metabolism is is showing that. No, no. When, when gotta we work it off, when, huh? When we've got to go ahead and spoon feed you because you can't eat because you're too lost in the game, we'll remember. We are joined by Guardians manager Stephen Vote. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you guys for having me. It's really exciting to be on with you. Well, it's we're very excited to to have you here. I know. I got to start with the question. I'm sorry. I know you get this asked all the time. It's the thing everybody in Cleveland is thinking about. How do we handle Valentine's Day this year with camp starting on such a hallowed day? <laughs> Well, it's, you know, it's tough because, you know, the way I look at it is Valentine's Day means it's baseball season. You know, my wife, Alyssa, and I, I don't think we've celebrated Valentine's Day together in over 10 years. So for us, it's more of a, hey, spring training's kicking off, so now we go. Where are you going to watch the eclipse on opening day? Probably, well, hopefully from the field. I mean, it's going to be close to game time, so I might get out there with my glasses, you know, safety glasses and take a look. I mean, we should have a pretty good view from where we're at. So I'm excited about that. So one of the big things happening here is obviously this is your first uh, first spring training as a manager. As you get the guys together, I know I know we're you know still uh, we're still getting settling in and everything. But what's your message to this team as you embark on your first special teams or sorry <laughs> spring training as a manager? Yeah, I think the biggest message is for the guys to go out and be themselves. You know, I think one of the big messages has been focus on what you're great at while improving your weaknesses. And I think too many times we focus on what we're maybe not quite as good at and, you know, we lose sight of what makes us great. And so 
the biggest part for me too is all of these guys are getting a fresh start. They're getting a fresh set of eyes, a clean slate. Go out and show us what you can do, and let's be the best we can be. What's the difference uh, for you now uh, that you're actually running spring training versus uh, when you were a player? And how much more do you love it now that you're in charge and you don't have to be out there doing the drills? Oh, I watched the catchers doing blocking drills today, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I don't have to do those anymore. Um, (laughs) Just watching what these guys put their bodies through. But, you know, it's been really weird for two days. So my whole career playing and then last year as a coach was – my name was on the schedule. I knew where I had to be and when, and now I just kind of float and watch what I want to watch. So it's been, I kind of feel like a lost puppy sometimes because no one's telling me where to go and what to do. And I'm like, oh yeah, I get to choose what I get to go look at. So um, that's been a little bit of adjustment for me, but what's awesome is, you know, our coaching staff and our support staff worked incredibly hard to put together a great spring training plan for our players and everything's working really smoothly. The guys are engaged. There's a lot of energy, a lot of excitement around camp, and um, everything's just going great these first few days. When you walk into that room and you're talking to guys, do you do you feel the need right now to prove yourself as a manager? No, not at all. You know, I think for me right now, I'm just trying to relate to the guys, have them get to know me, me to get to know them. Um, you know, that's one of the biggest things for me. I, I don't want to change who I am just because of the job I'm in. You know, I've always been a a teammate, a connector, and somebody who just loves the people I get to work with. I love going to work every day. You know, I I really do. And every time I walk through the doors, I'm smiling, and it's just really fun to see these guys working so hard. You've got some really good young arms uh, in this rotation. Uh, You know, Tristan McKenzie's obviously coming back from injury, but so so is your ace, uh, Shane Bieber. If he's able to, you know, be healthy and, and bounce back, uh, how does that change what this rotation might be capable of? I mean, you can't speak enough to what Shane Bieber has accomplished in his career and the type of pitcher that he is. And he worked he worked extremely hard this winter um, to make a few adjustments and, and get back to the form that he feels is best for him. Um, he looks great. You know, I watched his bullpen yesterday. It's sharp. He's He's got great command. The stuff is moving really, really well. He's got a clean delivery. So, um, obviously we know how good Shane Bieber can be and Cleveland fans know better than I do how good he can be, but, um, this is a guy, he's, a, he's an ace. He's a top of the league ro- starter and, uh, he, he couldn't look better right now. Steven vote guardians manager on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. Do you anticipate an innings cap on your younger guys like Bybee and such? You know, I don't know if we're going to put a hard innings cap on them. Obviously we're going to monitor their workload like you would with any young starter, um, but we have no intention right now. Um, we're going to be really thoughtful and mindful of how we build them up and what their workload ends up being over this course of the season. And the beauty of it is we have a tremendous medical staff and Carl Willis at the helm of the pitching. And so they have a lot more experience in that area than I do. And um, it's going to be a, it's going to be really, really, you know, not, I'm not going to use the word cautious because that's, that's not the right word. It's, we're going to be really thoughtful of where they're at and talk with them and work with them to see how they're feeling on any given day. But absolutely no innings cap. Um, you know, these are these guys. These guys went out and had great years last year, and we, we're excited to see what they're going to do again this year. Stephen Vogt, Guardians manager, joining us. Um, as a former catcher, how excited are you to, to work with a young guy, uh, Bo Naylor, behind the plate? Uh, you know, what's his playing time look uh, this year, and what do you think the outlook is for his? I guess I don't. Know, extended sophomore season. I guess we can call him a rookie last year, but, you know, coming back uh, with his, you know, first full spring spring training and 
being on the uh, the big league roster coming out of camp? I'm really pumped up for him. Um, anytime you're going into your first full season, you know, catching a full season is a different beast. Um, you know, and we obviously expect Bo to get significant playing time behind the plate. And what I'm most excited about is Bo Naylor is going to go into his first full season with Austin Hedges as his partner and Sandy Alomar Jr. and our new bench coach, Craig Albernaz, and myself. He's going to be surrounded by catching people. He's going to be supported in ways that not too many other people in the league are. And, you know, I, the sky is the limit for this kid. You just talk to Bo for five minutes and you get, you get excited, you get hungry, and you just want to go out on the field and watch him catch. And so um, with those people surrounding him and with his ability, most importantly, um, and the person that he is, it's, got, it's a recipe to be a phenomenal catcher for a really, really long time in this league. It's no longer feasible for guys to catch 130 uh, times a year. We, we know what happens to guys over their career. So assuming he's somewhere in the 80 to 100, maybe a little bit more range, in the days he's not catching, could we see him in the lineup in other ways, like DHing, things like that, to get that bat in the lineup? Hey, if you're hot, you're hot. You know what I mean? So if uh, – you know, we're, we're just going to wait and see what happens. You know, we don't have any any – immediate plans for playing time breakdowns of anyone really yet and you know but we're going to take it we're going to take it as we go and 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 Bo Bo's going to have an opportunity to get to play a lot and obviously if he goes out and plays the way he's capable of we're going to look for ways to get his bat in the lineup more often that goes for the rest of our roster how married are you to the uh, notion of uh, Stephen Kwan being your leadoff hitter uh, you know, uh, again, that's another question. I mean, I love him in the leadoff spot. He was a pain in the backside from the other side out of the one hole. So, you know, I, I think, again, we're, we're constantly evaluating where our guys are doing and, and how we could best structure our lineup to give us the chance to score the most runs. So open to just about anything. But, you know, obviously he's a great leadoff hitter and, and does a great job getting the, getting the line moving. So uh, also in the outfield and contending for a spot is Ramon Laureano, your old teammate, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, your old teammate in uh, Oakland. I- I'm curious, like, I-, I thought he was kind of refreshed when he came last year. Like, I think you look at his numbers in the second half with Cleveland. There were some there were some really good at-bats there. What does he need to do, though, to get back to being the guy you saw firsthand in 2019 where he looked like one of the best center fielders in baseball? He just needs to be himself. You know, I talked to Ramon, and he was one of the first players uh, that I called um, once I got the news I was coming to Cleveland, and you know, just chatted with him and <clears throat> just told him, look, you, this is your first full season in a new place. And I'm just pumped to see you go out and be yourself and, and show us what you're capable of because we've all seen Ramon play at an elite level. And this is a player that has a lot left in the tank. You know, he just turned 30. That's That's got plenty of time to, to be, you know, to be one of the best players in the league. And I think Ramon has that skill set and he has the ability. And it's just a matter of, you know, he looks great. Um, he put a lot of hard work in on his body this this offseason, and I, I, I couldn't be more excited about what, what Ramon could do for us this year. When you look at your starting nine this year, um, you know, very similar to uh, what was on the field uh, last year, um, just where's the ceiling for them offensively? I think there – yeah, I mean, I don't think there is a ceiling. You're talking about, a you know, a core that's very young and power typically comes with age. And so these guys are working really hard, and, and Chris Valaika and the hitting group have been you know, messaging, hey, we want to impact the ball more. You know, we want you to take some chances in those counts where you know, this might be where you get that pitch to drive. We want you to drive it. And you know, the ball's flying around the fields right now in Goodyear. Um, guys are crushing baseballs and BP and off machines, and 
we, we really feel good about our group. And, and, you know, as these guys start to get older, you learn how to hit the ball harder. You learn what pitches you can drive and what you can't drive and when to take chances. And those are things that we are actively teaching them and showing them, hey, this is where you need to look. This is where we want to look in order to drive the ball. And I think too many times, you know, we, we put these expectations on guys when they really haven't gotten their learning yet. But our guys are hungry. They look good. And we feel really good about where our offense has a chance to go this year. Steven Vogt, Guardians manager on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. So, you know, you've got a guy like Gabe Arias last year who I think was a little unsettled at points about moving. You know, he's in the right field. He's at third. He's at shortstop. And, and I'm using him kind of as, as, as kind of a call to all players like him. How important is it that a young guy who, who's maybe struggled while moving around positions like that, like Gabe, get a chance to stick at one position? How important is that for him to get a fair shake at just trying to develop into the hitter he can be? Well, I, I think that's it's it's more so the the celebrating the versatility that he can do and celebrating the athlete that he is. You know, playing multiple positions at the major league level is not easy for anyone to do, and Gabby has the opportunity and the athleticism to do that. And so, but teaching how do you separate your offense from your defense? No matter where you're playing in the field, no matter what glove you have on your hand, that shouldn't change the at bat that you have. And so messaging that to him and, and to the other guys that are going to bounce around, you know, we have multiple guys that have the versatility to go from the outfield to the infield and, and play in multiple spots. And so for us, it's, it's just messaging to them that no matter where you are on defense, it doesn't affect your offense whatsoever. And I think too many times we put too much stock into things like that. And so that's the message we're sending to our guys is, look, you have versatility. That's more ways to get your bat in the lineup. And so really spinning it in that way where if you hit, we're going to find a place on the field to play, and you have like four or five spots you can. So I think, that, you know, rather than focusing on one position, you know, we want to celebrate our, our players' versatility and give them those opportunities. If I were to make you commissioner, because baseball in the recent years is they've actually made some changes to the game, the pitch clock, eliminating the shift. That. So if I were to make Stephen Vogt commissioner of Major League Baseball for a day, what would you change? Oh, I mean, how long? How many things can I change? No, I'm just as many kidding. as you. Hey, you're a commissioner for <laughs> I want last year's uniforms back. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but no, I think honestly, our game is always evolving. Um, whether I agree with the changes or not, really isn't up to me. You know, it's it's one of those things. I, I'm pretty old school, and I don't like clocks being anywhere in the in the stadium. Um, I think you know, baseball is baseball, and. You know, but we, we've had to adapt, and I like the game times. I just wish we could do it without the pitch clock. How's that? I like that. I will say, I love the honesty that it feels like we're getting here. So, you know, is the, stole, is the solar eclipse stealing your thunder, scheduling itself on the same day as your home debut as Guardians manager? Go. You know, I think the, I think the Cosmos has a little more power than I do, so we'll, uh, we'll just let that kind of take care of itself. But, I mean, it's going to be a great weekend in Cleveland. Are you kidding me? Women's Final Four you know, eclipse and then opening day. There's nothing better than opening day. And, um, you know, it's just going to be a great weekend, week-long events going on in Cleveland. And I cannot wait to get there um, with hopefully a very good record coming off the road and uh, get started. It's going to be a really fun season. I'm thinking the headline here. Stephen Vogt says Cosmos won't ruin his big moment. What do you think about that <laughs> as a headline for this? Is that, that, is that accurate? Shout out, 
shout out to Carl Sagan in the Cosmos. Here we go. <laughs> uh, hey, seriously, officially welcome to Cleveland. Welcome. Okay, welcome to Arizona, which is a little bit warmer right now. But uh, we wish you luck here on your first spring training. Can't wait till you and the boys are back in Cleveland here shortly. All right, we really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much. Steven Vote there on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. I think you feel like you're getting kind of a straight shot here when you hear Steven Vogt uh, uh, talking, and I, I hope they they make him available. Uh, um, Tito, there were some other things. He was a little bit older, had been playing the game for a long time. I, I hope we get a fair amount of Steven Vogt throughout the year because you can tell, like, there's a hunger there. You can hear, I mean, you know, you can just hear how passionate some guys are and kind of everything that he's passionate about ball players and he's passionate about the game, and I think that is as important as – X's and O's or anything else. The, the fact that he hates the, the pitch clocks is fantastic. And the new unis. I I, I know I said that at the end of the last uh, segment. I wasn't it, expecting that shot when either. He was like, he was like, can I bring back last year's uniforms? Uh, it's, it is laughable. If you guys haven't seen the new Nikes, uh, the new Nike uh, baseball uniforms, uh, baseball players are incensed. And it's not just players. Uh, everybody kind of agrees they're not good. And the funniest part about that is, I, I can't remember which major league player it was, but at least one player has gone directly to Nike, like to a big wig at Nike and been like, hey, you know these jerseys are trash. Like, that's really funny. Like, you got guys, nothing unites baseball players and baseball managers and executives. So the idea that it is it is Nike shoddy uniforms for this year is really funny. And they're, they just look cheap, too. Like, yep. that's the thing. Like, I mean... You're not going to be able to read Stephen Vogt's name from the uh, from the bleachers, is what we're going to say. I'm not saying they need to wear the wool uniforms from like the 1940s, like they used to. But I mean, come on, like having silk screen printed, even like the NBA jerseys these days mm -hmm. are pretty flimsy and and cheap looking. They don't have the detail of the embroidery and things. And and look, I understand part of the reason they're doing that is the I guess the technology of the fabric and it. You know, makes it more comfortable to sweat in or whatever. It makes you, you more aerodynamic or if, something. If you just say the technology has allowed us to do that, that's a great way of saying it's it, it's cheap. Yes. <laughs> but, by the way, hockey jerseys never die. But basketball jerseys, football jerseys, MLB jerseys, cheap as hell. Hockey jerseys, you, I just bought a, a You a want jersey. those things layered well, yeah, but to the, keep you warm on the ice. You can throw one of the ones that you get it from New Era on and you could hit the hit the uh, ice tomorrow if you wanted to. I thought you asked a good question about Bo Naylor because, and and I followed up on. All right, he's going to catch 100 and 120 games this year. What do you do with the other 40 games or 60 games? I just think it's I, if if Bo wasn't sorry, if the rest of the lineup wasn't as big of a question mark, I don't think I'd be as adamant about this. I just, it's like Otani. Oh, you're not pitching today. You're going to be in the lineup the rest of the time. I think Bo is such a special hitter. He's got pop. I think he can be a run producer for you in the second half of the lineup. I know you don't want to wear the kid out, but man, I think if you give him 100 games behind the plate and another 40 at uh, at DH, I think that is a strong recipe. As, as of right now, you don't really have a clear DH on the roster. His response was pretty telling though, right? Yeah. If you're hot. You're hot. Yep. Translation, if you're hitting the ball, you'll be in the lineup. If yeah. you're not, going to give you a night off. Well, and I think when it probably is going to get bunched up a little bit is if Manzardo makes the roster. Yeah. Because then Naylor kind of becomes your DH. And long term, I, in, unless 
unless Josh just kind of overhauls his body, I I think Naylor's a DH. I'm not fat shaming. You know I'm not that kind of guy because I would have zero room to speak. I, I was going to say, but, you're the last person that should be. I, I'm the one that's supposed to be doing that. But I think the the health side of things, he is just a bigger guy. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. He's not Daniel Vogelbach. He's not, he's not immobile. But I do wonder sometimes if maybe that extra little bit maybe hampers his ability to stay healthy. That's an I don't know. But it's something I've thought about. Because he's had a couple significant. I mean, he, I think he's only played 140 or 150 games like once in his career, and I think it was last. Uh, no, two years ago. I'm a big Josh Naylor fan. He just, yeah. I mean, I just want to keep him healthy. That's all. Because yeah, he, he's, he's a dog. Like he's yeah, he's one he's, of those rare guys. Like, oh, we need to hit a three run homer here. I got, I got this. He's, and then he goes up and he hits the three run homer. You know like, who I, he is? He, a better player than this, but he's Na- uh, Naylor. All right, sorry, he's Napoli. Yes, he yes he is Josh. He's, he yes, is yeah. he, he's Naylor. He's one Josh of the Naylors. Uh, but no, he's Napoli. Yeah, he's the guy that party just, at Napoli's baby. Uh, well, but Napoli was the guy. Like guys, it, you interviewed guys in that locker room that year. I interviewed guys in that locker room in 2016. And if you were interviewing a guy that was close to Napoli, they kind of looked over. Yeah, like if they were gonna if they were asked a question <laughs> that you yep. knew there and and some of that is fear, but some of that is just respect, respect and energy. Mike had an energy about him that was like, we're business. We're going to go out and play fun, and we're going to play passionately. I think Naylor's that. And and you know what else they have back? You know, not so much for on the field, but behind the scenes, Austin Hedges. Like, I just – I felt like there was a heartbeat missing from that clubhouse last year. Uh, Good good guys, but there there was just something – that was like missing that was there the year before when they had that did, magical unexpected run. Did Cam Gallagher make us respect Austin Hedges just a little bit more? Yes. Because I think did. there's a chance that that's what <laughs> that's so, exactly what happened. Here's the thing. We know that they're gonna carry a a uh, a catcher that hits about a buck seventy. Right. But at least with Hedgie, he might give you eight home runs or ten home runs in a year versus well, Cam Gallagher, who is a phenomenal signal caller but good God, you'd be lucky if he hit a home run all year long. Or was able to block a pitch in the dirt. Oh, <laughs> God. I mean, Don't bring I'm – now, I'm now having so, PTSD uh, for I'm, Cam Gallagher. Sorry. I just, you know. But, you know, Hedgie was able to – I don't want to use the word police the clubhouse because that's mm-hmm. the wrong word because he wasn't a traffic cop in the clubhouse. But he, he was just a dude you could just hang out with and talk to about life and baseball and – you know, details of the game and, and stuff. Like, I, I do think that there is some inherent value uh, in that. And that was missing a little bit last year. And well, I think at times it showed, Nick. I think what's interesting about what you're saying is one of the un- – I already mentioned Napoli. One of the unsung heroes of that 2016 team was a guy who didn't make it to the postseason, Juan Uribe. And I yeah. think, you know, I when you're, when you're a team that kind of has to play a specific way or has its limitations because you can't just go out and trade somebody – how you how you close the gap is by having a really close knit locker room that really works well together. And they had Brantley, who was, I mean, you know, son of a baseball player, a hell of a human being, likable. You had Uribe, you had Napoli, and yes, you had young guys, but young guys who didn't know how to play yet. And those offset clowns like Bauer. Listen, you're not going to have 26 preachers. You're right. just not. You're not going to have 26 guys everybody wants to have a beer with. But you need about 13 of those yeah. to balance out the guys who are either neutral or the guys like, and honestly, young Mike Clevenger, 
a bit of a meathead. Yeah, I mean, and, and these guys, too, are together for like six, seven months at a time. Yes. And there's not many breaks between. I mean, it, they basically live together. So, um, you, you clubhouse guys, I, I know it's cliche, and I know some fans roll their eyes at that stuff. But in the sport of baseball, where it, it it's a grind, it is a marathon and not a sprint, you need good clubhouse guys, and, and Hedgie is one of the best in that regard. You guys can now hear full clips of our local shows at 923thefan.com and on the Odyssey app. So now you can have the option of listening to a specific chapter labeled by our producers or listen to an entire show. Download the free Odyssey app now and take the time to listen to the most sports talk here in Ohio, the most local sports talk here in Ohio. Uh, so we we do have the 5 at 5 coming up in about 30 minutes, but uh, we'll get back to the Stephen Vogt stuff later in the show. But I just want to play something, you know, it was a stressful year. We've we've got so many topics on the Browns that divide us. Nick Chubb's future. How much do you pay him? Do you pay him? Could you see the Browns moving on from Deshaun? I mean, Deshaun is a walking landmine for Browns fans about expectations and about what he was uh, you know suspended for and accused of and sued for. All this kind of stuff. Uh, even Kevin Stefanski somehow is still a lightning rod, and the guys won two Coach of the Year honors in the NFL. So I want to play something that we can all get behind is objectively an awful take. And I, I was so surprised. I, I Somebody alerted us to the fact that Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN, former Jets uh, GM, former Dolphins uh, GM, that he had said something on Get Up about a hypothetical Deshaun Watson trade. All right? And so I'd already been alerted about it. But then I saw Mike Tannenbaum tweet about it, and then I saw him tweet the video of it and I realized this man does not realize how stupid this sounds. I've heard some really stupid stuff over the years. And I covered Hugh Jackson for three and a half of those. That might take the cake. Honestly, you know what this is as bad as? A.J. McCarron for a second and a third round pick. Good. Tannenbaum's a former GM, right? Uh, well, for two teams? Yeah. And a former NFL agent. Yeah. Does he not know how the salary cap works? Does I, he not know how Deshaun's contract works? He was fired twice. Okay. So it stands to reason he might actually not know. There's like, and the, I think one of the 10 years lasted within three years, which it's it's really tough as a GM to get fired within three years. I, just, I, just saying. I, I realize the salary cap can be a myth. Um, I, I don't know that the Browns can create $200 million in salary cap room just to make that trade. So there is, so you're, here's the problem. You're using logic to defend and to oh. defeat this guy. That's kind of what I try to do. I just, well, no, what I mean is you're actually not logic. You're using reality, right? Um, yes, I the, live in this world called reality. Well, okay. But Welcome the, to the, it. The point is Mike Tannenbaum clearly doesn't. Here to me is why it's just a foolish idea. One, he said, who says no? Which is to me like the thing, like I love to do that on social media. Jordan Zerm, Clevelander. I have, I have occasionally sent bad trades to him. To, to needle him a little bit and then said, who says no, right? It, and, and I do it in the Bob Wiley voice. Who says no? And then I, everyone I says, forward. we do. Yeah, Well, no, but that, that's the point. When you say who says no, everybody knows you got no case, all right? If you're just saying who says no without any actual logical interpretation of why it would make sense for either side and you're not willing to defend it, you, sir, are simply just throwing out some some shark bait, as it were. So I think I don't. But here's the thing that troubles me: I don't think he knows it's dumb. 
Like, I don't think he knows it's the dumbest thing that I've heard since A.J. McCarron for a second and third round pick because he tweeted it, and then they tweeted it, and he retweeted it, and then he tweeted the details of the trades in like it, 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 with the teams tagged in it on top of tweeting the video. I think he thinks this is like his Mona Lisa. Somebody needs to tell Mike how to take the L. Uh, well, I already taught Mac how to do that earlier this week. So, I mean, let's get Mike Tannenbaum on the phone here, and I'll go ahead and teach him how to take an L. But, no, I mean, I so here's what I can't figure out. Because you've mentioned the contract, and people just – I think the I think the salary cap is a myth to a point. Right. Where in, the, in Deshaun's case, it's not a myth. Well, They're stuck. And to a point is quarterback contracts because of the amount of guaranteed money that they sling around at any given point. And the Browns slung around some record-breaking guaranteed money. Well, but I mean, honestly, once you get to what you pay Lamar, once you get to what you paid Deshaun, once you get to what you pay uh, Pat Mahomes, guys, it gets really uncomfortable. You you lose a lot of leverage because you're moving so much. That guaranteed money acts as a real restriction point on like every single year you try and move it around. But that's, again, that's the... That's the... <laughs> That's the cap reason why this is a stupid idea. Here's why it's another stupid. Why would the Browns sell low on Deshaun Watson now? Why would the Browns want Daniel Jones? Yes, like yes, yes. Why and giving up a second round pick? You're gonna give up Deshaun Watson. So you give up arguably the guy with the most upside in the trade, as far fetched as getting that upside might be for some people, and maybe the best asset in the trade of a second round pick for a guy who is honestly not fit to being a starting quarterback. Like he, oh well, you know, if you're the if you're the if you're the Giants, you get uh, you you get a guy with a high upside in Deshaun, maybe a franchise quarterback who can help you contend in the NFC East and that second round draft pick. If you're the Browns, you get Kaka. I what do you really get if you're that? Look, I love DTR. I I think he's got some talent there, but did he not watch DTR this year? I just guys. I understand some of us might some of you might be thirsty to move on from Deshaun Watson. If you're so thirsty that that sounded like a good idea for the Cleveland Browns, um, maybe it's time to go see like a like just just get healthier. Is what I'm gonna say. Maybe that's a nicer way to put it. Um, Daniel Jones is. I don't think Daniel Jones will be a starter in two years in the NFL. He might not be a starter this year in the NFL. But from the Brown side of things, and and I and I tried to lay it out in the break. There is the Browns aren't gonna do this because of the contract which is the thing that ends the conversation uh, in terms of from their standpoint of doing as dumb of a deal as this is. Here's the other thing that I don't get. We're two years in on this, and I get this deal is not worked out for what you paid for him and what you literally pay him to this point. Why do people think the Browns are desperate to give up on Deshaun Watson and, and to close the book on this trade? Because I would venture, when there's no financial incentive to do so, when you still aren't done paying the other team that you gave, you, you they they have your what is a twenty third pick in the NFL draft this year. Yep, the Houston Texans. I don't think people realize, like, yeah, okay, sometimes teams are willing to. We, hey, we made a mistake. The eggs on our face. That's not what this is, guys. This is a, this is the Titanic. If if it doesn't go well, this is the Titanic. So you're going down with the ship, all right? And what I mean by that is, because I don't think it's fate accompli we're going. The ship is going down. I, I I don't think the iceberg is is right in your path and you can't steer out of the way. 
I, I think that the health concerns scare me a little bit. Yeah, they should. It's a shoulder injury, a throwing shoulder to a to a quarterback. This could have happened to literally any quarterback you traded this kind of money for and this kind of draft collateral to. But guys, do you think the Browns feel like to themselves, hey, we're ready to take that PR hit that would happen. It would be immediately, the second you move on from this trade, and so maybe this is deferring. <laughs> it's like what's kicking the can down the road financially on the contract. The second that you bail on Deshaun or any quarterback of his ilk that this exact thing is transpired for, the second you do, it becomes the worst trade in the history of the NFL. That's different than you as a Browns fan feeling that that's what it is right now. So I would venture to say there are people, and I guarantee you guys, they're lining up this offense to be, uh, this offseason to be this. They're dead set on making this work because they know how bad and historic this would be if it doesn't work. They understand how – here's – a lot of the times we overblow this, guys. They gave up six top 100 picks, $230 million guaranteed, the first fully guaranteed $200-plus million contract in the history of the NFL. And it doesn't work out. It will be the thing that people point to for the next 20 years at why you don't make big swings. And by the way, it doesn't mean that's actually a right ideology. But, like, what we're really talking about here is he played six games poorly two years ago. Yeah, he only had six games to prove himself. This year, you can write it off. So, two years ago, you can write it off as he only played six games. And and those were the first six games in 700 days. This year, you can write it off as he played five games. Well, he played six games, but he really only played in five games, and then he got hurt. You can write those things off. If you just decide right now today, ah, eh, you know what? Leave it. It's not going to work out. Fatalistic. Let's eat the final three years of this contract. Guys, there's no writing that off. And it's so funny to me how the NFL has been so disingenuous, and guys like Tannenbaum are at the face of this, Daryl, that they've been so disingenuous about what a calamitous thing this was and how dare they give this contract to this player, and they're the first ones that think the Browns should want to cut bait. They should know the historical significance if the Browns wave the white flag on this trade tomorrow. And that, to me, is why even beyond the money, the the mere mention of this trade is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They can't move on from Deshaun Watson even if they wanted to move on from Deshaun Watson. That's what blows my mind about the whole scenario. You're a former NFL GM, two-time over, Okay, and I just feel like yeah, if, if you're going to throw stuff out there, you have a responsibility to, I don't know, put something out there that's remotely feasible. Like, this isn't even doable. The, you wanted to, Would you like me to tell you, Nick, when the Cleveland Browns can get out of Deshaun Watson's contract? Sure. Are you ready for it? I'm ready, ready for it. 2027. That's when they can get out of Deshaun Watson's contract. I Technically... They could get out of Deshaun Watson's contract in 2026, but they got to swallow a $73 million dead cap hit. Actually, technically, they get it out tomorrow. They would just have to have what, what they cap just, hit? They, they just wouldn't feel the football team this fall. <laughs> $200 million would and, be the dead cap hit. And that's hit. a lot, You see, you're right? Uh, I, I'm, yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure. 
for translating that's, for the people out there. That's about 75% of the salary cap okay. for 2024. Like, what are we doing? Like, I understand you want to have, you want to spur discussion, you want to throw ideas out. Fine. But be responsible, especially as a former NFL executive uh, who has a prominent position on the four letter network and throw stuff out there that's actually tangible and realistic. Don't just like, Throw something out there that has no idea of happening, and then give yourself a victory lap by, you know, reposting it a bunch of times on your Twitter account. And here's the thing: I don't even think the Browns are going to move on from him in 2026 when they can, for every reason you and I have both talked about. At some point, it's money matters in this case because right. of the guaranteed money. At some point, yes, yeah, some things are more than money. The Browns made this trade to change the optics of this organization to, to to make this organization taken seriously. Would you like to know his cap hit next year? Real quick. If they get rid of him? Real quick. But they made 100, this... $137 million. Real quick. They made this move for people to to talk about them and think about them differently. And so this... Any idea well, that, that they... Well, that was accomplished. That, well, any idea that they would want to move on from them now before any chance that Deshaun legitimately has to at least... I mean, you got to give them. Every, you got guys getting the next three years. Not, not you and me, not the fans, but they do. And so, it, beyond just money, like this is the the stake of how people think about the organization will be tarnished if the Browns don't do everything to make the deal work. And I guarantee you, Mike Tannenbaum has had some uh, has never had anything similar to what we're talking about. And that's what makes it so impossible to get your head around is, let alone from the cap standpoint, you 5% of GMs ever have to deal with this kind of thing. Right. But then when you get to what it means for how you are perceived as an organization and whether people want to come with you, whether people want to come to you, whether people want to go ahead and do business with you, guys, they can't bail before it becomes absolutely necessary to bail. The, the boat has to be literally under the water. <laughs> yeah, it has to be under the water, at broken in half, at two different places of the uh, Atlantic Ocean. Right. And we're not there. Guys, we hadn't even hit the iceberg yet, okay? It's looming, but haven't hit it's it It's out there. It's out. That shoulder could have been the iceberg. We don't know. I heard something. Was that a scraping sound that I heard? But I don't know. Don, welcome to the show. What you got for us, buddy? Hey, man. Um, I was actually, personally, I would trade for maybe Justin Fields. What would you do with Deshaun Watson? I would see if maybe the Bears would want him or maybe some of that contract. Don, I appreciate the call. I will say. With love and respect, if I had the the Shawn Michaels kick in the face thing, I would have played it there. Um, no, let's just not do that. I don't. I, Don was on hold for the entirety of the second half of that last segment, and the entirety of this segment. He was the one I was preaching to. He was the one I was preaching the gospel right to Don, and here we are. You know, we started the show with uh, the beating. Uh, Brandon Terry, if you wonder why I do that, he signs off on all his uh, CBS uh, minutes. At, I'm BT. I just like making fun of it. I just. You're really good at making fun of people. I really. It's a, it's a skill and it's a defense mechanism, I, too. I, I was going to say, for someone that gives plenty of material to be made fun of, you do a very good job of deflecting with your own 
Have you ever wondered yes. if maybe I give the material to make fun of so people understand I can be made fun of? I, I Hey, I constantly try and beat people to the punchline. Constantly. Diffuses them. And it also makes them mad because then they don't get to take their shot at me. We did have BT on the morning show with uh, with Ken and Danny Cunningham. And I actually really like this point. He talked about uh, the idea of the Cavs and Knicks meeting up in a first-round series matchup again. Yes, I do. Certainly from the other teams. I mean, if the other teams aren't respecting what, you know, I know the Knicks obviously are banged up and they've hit the skids a little bit here, but if they're not respecting what the Knicks were doing before that and really what you guys have been doing since New Year's Day, from a player's, you know, management, coach's perspective, they're missing the boat. The, the league knows what's up. The league knows both of these teams are legit. You know, when you get on the, the, the national shows, whether it's first take or, you know, Shaq and the crew on, on TNT, I feel like maybe the Knicks get a little more attention. I think Brunson's been been dissected a little bit more and and maybe more so than Mitchell maybe only because Mitchell's been more established more so than Brunson it's more of a, a fresh topic with Jalen so listen I don't want these two teams to meet in the first round like last year because it's kind of a waste of time this has to be round two or beyond let's go I don't want two good teams squaring up in round one so I I'm always fascinated at like the Rocky one versus Rocky two and like as a pro wrestler fan I love trying to book like a, a trio of matches or like a, a, a program in a way that you can keep it fresh and interesting. NBA playoffs are the exact same way. Like I think, I, I think BT spot on here, BT. I, the idea that the Knicks and, and Cavs, which as of right now, they would not match up in the first round. They'd match up in the second round. Possibly. No, cause they, they would play the Celtics in the second round, but if let's say uh, the the Knicks, who are one and a half games back off the Bucks, leap leapfrog the Bucks and end up as the three seed, you then see them in the second no, round. No, you know what you'd get? What? Your wit, your dream come true. You would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's where I want that ass. If we're being honest, like so. I honestly, here's the thing, guys. If you get the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals, you get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. You're going. To the NBA Finals. See, these are the things I think about. I'm thinking that about ass? what you want. <laughs> Me wanting that ass? I think <laughs> I think we should think about the phrasing of these things before we, we go too far down this rabbit hole. Um, on an FL Friday. But, like, but I'm going to continue on. I'm not getting knocked <laughs> off my spot here. But I do think, like, whether it's the second round of the playoffs or the third round of the playoffs, I love building this kind of rivalry. And I'll be honest with you, I I was as mad about I was as mad at the Cavs as I hated on the Knicks after you got gentlemanly swept because the Cavs failed to show up in the playoffs. And so the idea that this next year you could be coming off both getting a series win in the series where they got eliminated last year and you were watching from home this year I think would be fantastic. Like I, honestly he's right. If you had Knicks Cavs in the first round, it would just it, it'd still be fun because you have that, but it just wouldn't be as fun as if it would be later in the playoffs. You would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> oh, we're playing that at your funeral, by the way. Forty years from now, forty years from now, because forty years from now, it's not just going to be a headstone; it's going to be like a, a VR headstone. There's going to be able to have audio on it. They have they have like, have like tears in heaven playing on some people's, and yours is going to be. You would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals.
Is that what they use MBAI for? I think yes. Yeah. It, it's all right. Uh, hey, NBAI, show me that ass in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. You would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh. <laughs> so thoughts on a Cavs Knicks uh, second round series? Do you agree it would be a waste? Wouldn't be the Eastern Conference Finals, so I don't know if it'd be as good. So, it, do you think a first round matchup between those two would be? It'd really not be as good. Okay, well, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. You just want to keep playing that sound. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Yep, no. <laughs> you would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think you're thinking. I think now you're trying to see what we can do that would <laughs> no. get us to play this. No, you would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think you're calling for it now. No, I, I, you know, I was just trying to play up to your bit from earlier this week. I, no, you did, but people don't remember that. People only remember. You would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. 216-474-0092. Would Shut you up, want, Mac. Would you want that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals, or would, would you like to avoid the first-round matchup between the Cavs and the Knicks in the Eastern Conference? Because, like, I just start to think about it. Here's the thing. There are some interesting parallels about these two teams, and I think it starts with their guards. Like, I think what makes next year's, this year's rather hypothetical second-round, third-round matchup is Jalen Brunson versus Donovan Mitchell. Because two years ago, one of these guys was the the, the big-ticket item, and (laughs) you would get that ass in the Eastern Conference Finals. And this year... Uh, it seems like Jalen Brunson, I mean, BT himself said he thinks Jalen Brunson has a better case as MVP than Donovan Mitchell. And I just, I think you're starting to see, like, there's a lot of makings of a natural rivalry here. Yeah. And I I'll be, I would almost be bummed out if both teams got to the playoffs and then got out of the playoffs before facing each other. Like, I'll even go further. Like, I think it's like... I think it would be that, that would leave you empty inside if that happened. Well, I don't know empty, but I do think like close to it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, who you beat on your path to wherever you're going to top out at in the playoffs, I think matters. You know, like I, one of the most interesting things that that happened with Boston when LeBron was here is that they started out as kind of the little engine that could with Isaiah Thomas, with um, with Kelly Olynyk, that long-haired hippie freak. With all that, Jay Crowder, that was their nucleus of their best players. And by the end of that, you had young Jason Tatum. You had Kyrie. You had Jalen Brown. And so you saw this team kind of morph. And and by the way, a team that was capable of getting back to the Eastern Conference Finals with a completely different makeup. So, like, I always thought like that or, I mean, the Heat weren't a good case. Atlanta kind of fell off halfway through. Golden State's another great Toronto, the, the Cavs, like the Raptors couldn't get by the Cavs to save their life. Well, and, like, but like, think and, about and, it. And those series ended up just being one-sided beatings. Like even, let's let's kind of extrapolate it to the NBA Finals. If in 2016 you had beaten OKC, yeah, it would have been cool because it's the first title in, you know, 50-some years. And yeah, you would have gone through Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook to get it. But there was something about tagging you back. Right? Oh, you got me. We had the injury-prone team in 2015. Kyrie was out. Kevin Love was back. It was Kevin. It was LeBron and the Bronettes with Matthew Dellavedova drinking a gallon of coffee a night. And now it was our turn to answer back. It doesn't mean the title. I, I don't. I, like a title never means less. 
But like, yeah, trip to the Eastern Conference Finals through New York, I think would add some some real spice to that. And, and I think that the Warriors then going out and getting Kevin Durant jo- joining them ruined it, right? Because it it took the heavyweight fight away. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like it stacked the deck, right? And it would have been nice to see Cavs Warriors go at it. Minus, because I really think that had Kevin Durant not joined the Warriors, those four finals could have gone two two. Mm-hmm. Like it, I don't think it would have been three one Golden State. Like I I think that to your point, it's fun when you're going back and forth, right? Didn't have Kevin Love and Kyrie in 2015. We're sitting here saying what what if those guys were healthy or whatever? You know, it, no way Golden State beats that team if those players are healthy. And then the Cavaliers come back with the historic comeback. They throw the haymaker. Next year, how does Golden State respond to the Cavaliers without you know? I, I just I feel like the Durant thing just took the wind out of the sails and the and the real fun out of that rivalry because it just became so lopsided. Well, and I think to get it back to the the Cavs next year, I think the reason I think the stakes here are different. Last year, the stakes were prove you belong in the playoffs. The Knicks did that. You you proved you didn't. But right. both teams have reloaded. The Cavs went out in at and, and and by the way they did a hell of a job getting Craig Porter Jr. who looks like a nice kind of a rotational piece going forward maybe something more if he can develop into it but they got Max Struess they got George Yang they got Sam Merrill they got more pieces they got a backup center in Tristan Thompson you can actually throw out there on any given night when he's not suspended for PEDs but like okay now you've also got young players getting better they went out they got OG Ananobi they got uh, Bojan Bogdanovic they got Alec Burks so now all right same principal guys but now you got a little bit more reinforcements and maybe the little different supporting different. cast well and why it matters this year is there's there really is no clear who is the second top dog in the east like yes any team with Giannis is going to be a threat this team doesn't this uh, Bucks team doesn't play defense and their head coach is now definitively worse than they were a year ago with Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, things are not going well with Doc right now. Well, but Philadelphia with Joel Embiid, even if he makes it back, how healthy can he really be going to the playoffs? And by the way, hadn't done a lot in the playoffs previously. So, like, the teams that you previously would have to go through, yes, hypothetically, you're still going through some of those players. They're not who they were two years ago. And so there's a real opportunity here. What what makes this Rocky versus Apollo 2.0 – to, to move it from Rocky 1 to Rocky 2, is is now all of a sudden, you know, last year it was prove you belong. This year, it is prove you're the second best team in the, the Eastern Conference. And I th- and with a chance to go for the title, to go for the crown in the conference, I think that's fascinating. Because if you make it this year to the Eastern Conference Finals and you're the Cavs, right. you still got room for Evan Mobley. You still got room for Darius Garland. I mean, that, that I think is really intriguing. And from New York's side, you got room for OG, who's still a very young guy. You know, like, that, there's just so much talent on both these rosters. And now, yeah, I think if you, if let's say the, the Knicks fell to the Celtics in the second round and you bested Milwaukee or Indiana to, or, or Miami to get to, the, uh, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, it'd still be awesome to be in the Eastern Conference Finals again. But you'd be like, man, I wish, wish we could have gone through them just – just to just to have that checked off in our head because I think Cavs fans need it too. Similar to what happened with sh- Chicago and Detroit mm-hmm. when the you know Jordan and the Bulls were trying to make their ascension up the NBA's ladder, it was the challenge of getting through the bad boy Pistons, mm-hmm. and it 
it was an uphill climb. I mean, it just it wasn't a one-year thing. I mean, it was an uphill climb for the Bulls. But once they did it, that was it. Well, and you know, it's funny you say that because before you can have the conversation, can you you can you change or can you charge the Celtics and see if you can be better than the Celtics? You have to go through the rest of the division, right? rather the rest of the conference too. You've got to go through. I mean, it, it really is. You're reestablishing the pecking order in the Eastern Conference this year if Milwaukee doesn't wake up and Joella doesn't come back. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, so you, New York should feel the same way. Indiana should feel the same way. Honestly, any team that makes it of the final five, eight teams that isn't Boston, so the other seven teams should feel like, well, why not us? I mean, hell, Orlando is probably going to be Cleveland this year. They're probably going to get in the playoffs and get smoked if they make the uh, a five-game series because it makes sense that you would. You have no. You're they're even younger than the Cavs were last year. They don't have a Donovan on their team. But like, I bet you Orlando's going to go and saying, "Well, why not us? Like, we we've got talent. Like, there's there everybody else is kind of similarly uh, inexperienced here. We might be the most inexperienced, but why not us? And I think that's what's so cool. Anytime you have a transitional changing of the guard, I think the West is going through this too with the Thunder and Timberwolves. I would bet on the Clippers or Nuggets coming out of that that conference, but I wouldn't bet big. I wouldn't bet the house. So I think they, I just think it's a really yes. There's a lot of pressure. Yes, the Cavs have to met, like match to the expectations, and they should rise above expectations. And I don't know for certain that they can overcome that pressure. But, man, the rewards of if you do are incredible and tangible. You and I got into the expectations about the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think this kind of is the perfect bridge to where we were earlier because I do think a lot of people in town, and and I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of people on the station are pulling their punches when it comes to the Cavs. And some of that is, that we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Like I think I don't think it's like a pandering thing or anything like that. I'm not so but I think we're afraid to put definitive expectations on this team. And I guess what I started thinking about earlier this week is guys definitive expectations aren't going to stop Donovan Mitchell from leaving Cleveland or keep him here. Like so like when it comes down to the brass tacks, if you want a chance to re-sign Donovan this year, the second half has to be really damn strong, and you've probably got to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. So if that's the reality of that guy's future, or or sorry, when I say that guy's future, what I really mean is that's the kind of thing that can move you out of the gray area with Donovan. We're all of a sudden now, instead of we go year by year, maybe Donovan does say, I'm going to give this another two or three years. Like that, th- like that kind of a deep run two years in here where he's never been in the playoffs. So if, if that's the reality of the situation with your best player, then why shouldn't we have that expectation? The organization didn't didn't make this trade two years ago to, man, I hope one day we get to and, and lose in the divisional round of the playoffs. No, the, the point was we want to compete in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Cavs have tried to slow play the expectations. Well, it's, I don't know if it's championship or bust, and I get it. Championship or bust is different than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is – Behind Boston, it is wide open and clear in the Eastern Conference right now. And in this scenario that we've drawn up, you're missing Milwaukee. You're missing – yeah, that's that's Boston's problem if they continue to fall into that four or five range. So you got to go through uh, Miami, which is a tough out, as Milwaukee found out last year, but not unbeatable. And maybe you got to go through New York. 
that that's doable. And and however the math changes, I get it for people. But like I I think I think this is the year. I think we got to people like t- uh, treating this team like the LeBron years. That to wake me up when the playoffs start. But then when it comes down to okay, well, should we have sky high expectations? You can't do both. You can't you can't do one and not the other. The reason why we said wake us up when April 15th begins or April 18th begins, the reason why we said that is the expectation was you're going deep into the playoffs. You're playing in June. Yes. Or uh, yes, or at the very least, well no, it was playing in June. It but was in this case, in June. Let's but in this case, it. yes, go play deep into May. The the moment they traded for Kevin Love, that it was okay, yep, uh got to get to June. Because this organization redefined their parameters for success when you traded for him. And we've been patient. Lord, we've been patient. I mean, and, they, they they fired David Blatt. Yes. With the team with the best – they had the best record in Eastern Conference, and they fired David Blatt in January and turned it over to Ty Lue and ultimately led to a championship. But to your point, this is where we're at. And I was thinking about this during the break. Because I, in this respect, I agree with you. The days of playing with house money are over for the Cavaliers, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Two years ago, it was, hey, get to the play-in tournament, and we're playing with house money. Last year, it was, get to the play, you know, skip the play-in tournament, get to the playoffs, we're playing with house money. Whatever happens, happens. This year, it's not we're playing with house money anymore. It's... And, and and a lot of it has to do with the recent success that they've had and the fact that they are number two in the conference. To your point about expectations, the house money thing's gone now. That's out the window. It's I my expectations is they win their first round series, they play in the conference semifinals, and then I'll sit back and see what happens and 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 make my judgments based on what those results are, whether it's positive or negative. And if it's negative, well, how bad is the negative? You know, how deep do they get into that second-round series? Do they get their doors blown off? That's going to be a problem. Do they lose a heartbreaking Game 7? Well, okay, we're not going to be real thrilled with that, but it at least shows, hey, this team's ready to compete at the highest levels within the conference. So here's maybe the better way to to, – because I think we're pretty close to where each other is. I, I think what's silly to me is that last year, if you'd beat the Knicks and then topped out and, and crapped out in a gentleman's sweep in the second round, people would be saying Eastern Conference Finals this year. 100%. And, I 100% yeah. agree. And the reason why for that is because it's about a step forward, Nick. And, see, and that, that's kind of how like I think of this mm-hmm. because this has been a build, okay? I don't want to use the term slow build, even though it kind of— It took five years it, since it, it was a slow build. Okay, but it, it, it's been a slow build. And we have seen incremental movement forward, right? Well, we don't want to see this year with how well that they are playing. There's no excuses for matching what you did last year or taking a step back from what you did last year. You need to move forward. And the way to move forward is by winning that first round series and getting into the conference semifinals. Listen, I don't want them to be like the Hawks who during the bubble went to the Eastern Conference Finals and have not really sniffed right. uh, any sort of playoff success since then. I don't but want I don't them think to be that. that. I don't think this don't is either. a one-hit wonder either. But, but this is the point. Last year should not be the barometer with which we base this year's playoffs on. 
I think it's so a much, starting point. Nah, but 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 okay. But what else? We we base it off of what you did in, in the summer, and you had a great summer. Right. We base it off what you do the first fifty games of the year. You're the second best team in the Eastern Conference. So I think what I think what some of us are doing is we're oh we're we're um we're waiting, uh, waiting or waited not waiting. Uh, we've waited the playoff failure last year more so than the things we've seen. We're in wait-and-see mode. And I guess my point is, if Donovan Mitchell is the player I think he is, why am I why am I curbing these to, to save my feelings or to save us from having a nasty conversation in May if it doesn't go the right way? I think that's the frustration. Like, uh, guys, it was almost a year ago. The team's a very different team now. So if you're basing your expectation this year, well, logically, you go from you lose a first-round series and then maybe you win a – guys, that, it's not linear. Like, the whole point of Donovan was you wanted to level jump multiple levels at once. You wanted, right. to, you wanted to pass go, get your $200, and get right back to Park Place. Like, you wanted to dominate the globe and be right past go again. Yeah, I so mean, like, you, don't, you don't give up everything that they did to get yes. Donovan here. And again, that was a product of not so much that the Cavaliers were ready for a Donovan, Mitchell, but it was the opportunity, which is rare to get a player of that caliber – in a trade was there mm-hmm. and Kobe Altman pounced. And to your point, he was like, well, we got the guy. We got a bunch of young kids. Now let's see if this accelerates this. And that, and that became their mentality. And to a degree, it did accelerate it a little bit because if Donovan Mitchell's not here, guess what? We're, we're having a completely different conversation. I think it accelerated the regular season tremendously. Right. And the idea you wouldn't expect that to then be in the postseason. Again, I think we're protecting our feelings. I think we're protecting our our egos a little bit. I think we're protecting the Cavs a little bit. And, like, they're grown up. Y- your kids have grown up. We're, we're damn near empty nesters here. And it's not that I want to, to heighten these expectations so if they don't get to it, I'm going to destroy them on air. No, no, no. That's not radio now. That's not good radio now. But I do – I also think couching your expectations – for some, anything other than what have you seen from this team this year and and how do you project them forward, I think is just as disingenuous as if they don't make the uh, uh, if they don't make the NBA finals, we should fire everybody and trade everybody or or any other sort of hot take. I think they're both equally disingenuous and I think it's time. I think it's time to really put them on the table. Two years ago the Cavs put them on the table. And I think it's time to have those kind of concrete expectations and not just be like, oh, well, another incremental step would be nice. Damn that. I, I think this is the year you grab to the brass ring because the East is giving you that opportunity. And the and the juice is, is going to be so worth the squeeze if you can go ahead and hit a home run this year. Guardians manager Stephen Vogt on at 4 o'clock today. Really interesting stuff about commitment to maybe Stephen Kwan leading off. The return, maybe innings cap on the young uh, starting pitchers like Tanner Bybee. Uh, we got into his first spring training. Also uh, had to ask him whether he feels like uh, the solar eclipse is stealing some of his thunder. And, uh, and I, you know, the subtext really didn't fit my narrative either. But he was very nice and a really good interview with Stephen Vogt at four today. But I have to talk about my my close encounter that happened. And if you, Daryl, one of the shows you weren't here this week, we did the backup quarterback big board. We actually previously helped the Guardians identify Stephen Vogt as the managerial candidate 
when we did the Guardians managerial big board all the way back in October. Where was vote on the board, by the way? Um, I don't. He was on the board, and we addressed that. But, I mean, it, there were 40 candidates. There were a lot of variables. So you're not going to sit here and take a victory lap because they hired Stephen Vote. No, I'm doing that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, well, my point was it wasn't about what we thought was going to happen. It was let's let's get a comprehensive right. list. I Listen, teams all the time like to say, hey, we ran a comprehensive search. We enforced that. You we, you yourselves yes. ran a comprehensive yes. search. And, and there were, I mean, names, basically all nouns on the list, a lot of nouns. You know, uh, names, places, and whatnot. And uh, so, like, we decided, and by we, I mean me, decided, listen, Joe Flacco ain't coming back. All right? So, it's time that somebody step up and start putting together the, the list of backup quarterback options for the Browns so the Browns can find their the right backup for Deshaun in the same way that we helped the Guardians find Stephen Vogt. Right. So, I unearthed the uh, the backup big board, and I, I even paraphrased in the just missed the cut was Joe Flacco, Jacoby Brissett, and then Mitch Trubisky. And I had said because Mitch Trubisky isn't good enough to be on this list. <laughs> and so this was a day after you and I had talked about Ken's impassioned plea to be, to bring back Mitchell Trubisky. Right? He's from Menor. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he could – and Ken started out as he's your backup – and then by the end of the conversation, why could just be in camp with you? Ken, move the goalpost a little bit. I'm sorry. Somebody needs to say that. I love you, Ken. But we went from, I think he should be the backup to, I mean, he's just a, he can compete with DTR. He's got to push DTR to being like, he can be the water boy. That's how Ken moved the damn goalpost. I'm only slight hyperbole here. But um, while we're on that topic, so I, I get done with the show. I remember what day it is. Oh, it's it was Wednesday. It was, yeah, okay. Were you here Wednesday? I don't think I was here Wednesday. Oh, you weren't I here was Wednesday. Covered the, I covered yeah. the Cavaliers that night. So it was Wednesday because I had to go pick up my girls. So I was a little flustered because I knew I had to go pick up the girls. You got to be there by a, a specific time. And I also like to get there early because you can. Uh, we get to shoot around. Right. Because indoors. So I like, to, I like to monkey around the kids a little bit. And as I'm walking out, I, I think... I think Mac was laying back here for some reason. Maybe it was to host. I don't know. Yes, it was. Keith goes out the other way, and so I'm solo. And I go down in the lobby here, and I round the corner by a little convenience store, and there are four people in front of me. And the first guy's like a, like an older guy, like not as old as maybe my parents, but that I mean, he's 50s, and he's got a Chicago Bears uh, like, like, uh, what, the, what are those, ja- the jackets you throw on over the pullovers? Yeah. The pullovers. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why would you be wearing a bears thing? It's clean. Uh, who knows? You know, it was, it was a nice, uh, pullover by the way. And, uh, and then there was a, a, a woman that looked to clearly be his wife. And then there was a, a young woman. And before I made it to the fourth person, I kind of looked back at the dad cause I kind of felt like I was getting a little mean mugged. You know, like, uh, there was just, I don't even want to say you mean feel, mug. You could feel the presence. I, I think it was as if I was being analyzed and maybe a little bit judged. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I kind of nodded. I always, you know, sometimes I'm worried because I'm a big guy. I'm always worried about the idea of, oh, am I, am I maybe making you uncomfortable because we're kind of passing each other here? Like, people don't naturally know that I'm a big teddy bear until you actually get me to talk. 
So I kind of did like the smile and nod, like, uh, let's see if this softens him. No softness. It was a hard exterior. And then I go back from dad, who's wearing the Chicago Bears regalia, and I look back at the, the, the younger man, and I was like, that looks like Mitch Trubisky. And I started like thinking like, oh, could that be like he's from here? You know what I mean? I don't know why you would be in the, the Halley building at that time of night. But and then I look back at the dad. Dad's still kind of giving me that look. Not again, not overly aggressive, not male macho adult gorilla. But I'm just saying like there was definitely a vibe of you. Uh, I'm not sure about you. And so then I look back and I was like, OK, but he does. Last time I saw Mitch, he had a, he had a beard. And it was at that point that I became pretty certain that it was Mitch Trubisky. And this was less than 30 minutes after. And so you start doing the math, and it's like, when did I talk smack about this guy? All right. <laughs> Could they have been in the car circling downtown listening to this station while I besmirched them? And then there's a thought of like, could I get jumped by multiple Trubiskys here? Like, is this – because, like, again, like, they know I, – I know – I'm sure they know some of the people from the station, but they don't know me from Adam. So if they just heard me talking endless smack about their kid – and, and I like I would understand, and so I'm doing all this math in real time, and so I, I'm 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 doing this as I like I'm waiting for the Keith Hernandez and Seinfeld, where like the the immaculate uh, spit pellet I'm waiting for, and so I, again kind of like mm-hmm, hi uh, to to Mitch or to whom I thought was Mitch, don't you never know, and kind of got that same stoic face back and I, which made me feel like it even more was likely Mitch Trubisky and so then I, I know somebody who knows somebody which is the best way I can put this but I had I had, I was I I got into the truck and before I left the garage because I'm because the other part of the calculus by the way is do I do I go under the guise that this is the guy that I've just spent talking smack and there's a chance that guy heard me talking smack about him so I'm, I'm trying to do that calculus all in real time. And so I, I texted a friend of a friend, and I was like, hey, I think I just saw this person in, in the Hanley building. Is that a possibility? And they're like, well, I'm pretty sure that person's in town. So, yeah, it's a possibility. And I was just like, what is the appropriate protocol? Because I, I feel like I have – a lot of social skills to deal with a lot of situations in a confident manner. I don't always handle it in the right manner, but I have a I'm very confident in whatever decision I make. Had I in that moment, had I been like, uh, are we the Trubiskys? Am I more likely to get cold cocked there? Or am I more likely that maybe I make a friend and maybe, maybe I, I soften the blow or the, cause the other thought was if they said yes, my response was going to be like, you know, I, I don't have anything against you personally, right? Like, do you assume in that moment that they've just heard you besmirch their golden child who plays in the NFL as you walk by them? I'm pretty sure the mean mugs gave it away. Yeah, that's kind of what it's. But of, uh, okay. of all the gin joints in all the world, but in this in this moment, could I have not softened them just a little bit with a little bit of the Nick Wilson charm? Uh, no. Is this just? Is this just? I've only heard you talk poorly. Correct about my. Uh, my there's there's no escaping it. 
All right. There's no softening the blow. Okay. Like, uh, and I, I'm sure way, you're lovely, wonderful people, but your son sucks in the NFL. Somebody does. Right, I just don't, I, I just don't think that that would go over all that well. Okay, so that's what you were saying. I thought you were saying that. I was like, I'm trying to get out of Dutch here. Uh, Jake Volnick did point out he does have younger brothers, so and maybe they just cloned one Trubisky and they kind of all look the same. So it could be, it could be a, another different Trubisky. But yeah, there's a part of me that as I was like, man, I kind of want to swing this into my favor. Yeah, I know. Because, like, I don't think people understand. Like, in reality, when I'm assessing you as a quarterback, it when I call you a slap ass as a quarterback, you're still an NFL quarterback. So, like, I'm I'm grading you against the 1% of 1%. It's what people get wrong about Brock Purdy. Well, Brock Purdy's pretty good. Yes, but he's not elite, and that is the standard in the NFL. So, in this case, like, how my mind works is... He's in the club, I don't want to but do he's the, not getting invited to the back room. Yes, now, is it maybe different when I'm saying your your son, I don't think he should be the backup quarterback of the Cleveland Browns? Yes, I understand. But what, Yeah, and why would you – honestly, you're doing them a favor. Like, no, you don't want Mitch to have to go through that. Yeah, you'd hate Browns. for him to have, like, a success uh, successful second act like Joe Flacco's about to have, all because he signed with the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I, think, I think you're missing out on who the, who, the, who the better link up here is, who the better rebound is. The Browns are the better rebound in this scenario as of right now than Mitch is because the last two years on the field have been really rough. I don't know that the Browns are ever the better rebound. I think Joe Flacco would, would disagree not, with you. Not, not, not. I mean, we just for... had Valentine's Day. If we're talking about two people getting out of a relationship, the Browns are at the very least a Cleveland eight and, and oh man, I'm just, if the Trubisky's are here, I'm definitely getting my ass kicked today if I walk by him in a lobby. But like, the Mitch Trubisky's a Cleveland five or maybe a Parma four. I don't, I don't know how that goes. Parma six is where I was going with that. So like, I, I think you're wrong on this. I can't believe you went Parma six. I, I know. I know. I know. It wasn't great. Parma. <laughs> I've seen a Parma six. <laughs> I bet you have. Um, now I'm not making that joke. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay right in the pocket here, and you I'm gonna enough, resist the rat you, poison you got, for my career. You you got enough mean mugging for the week. So do you think that people understand that when you're talking about them? Because I think this this proves that no, you don't. No, I've been I've been in enough NFL locker rooms to know. No, no, they. They no, don't have a sense it, of humor. They we can't dissect what I think of you as a football player <laughs> no. and as a okay. No, no uh, you're right. talking to someone who uh, <clears throat> this was years. I've told this story on the "It's Always Game Day in Cleveland" podcast. The time that Duke Johnson wanted to whoop my ass uh-huh. uh, because uh, this was back in the Kenny Britt dancing in, uh, during practice and missing reps. Yeah, uh, thing. And so I posted the video, and the Browns hadn't won a, won a game, and it's like November yeah. when this all happens, right? So um, I I post the video because I wanted to make a point because the position coach actually like cussed them out for missing reps because they're too busy dancing to music and not uh-huh. doing what they're supposed to do. Also, haven't won a game, so uh, I had posted the video on Twitter, and I I admit I was a little snide and, and uh, a bit of a smartass. You? In, in my con- I know, shocking, shocker. I know, wow. breaking news, but. I put on there, you know, clearly the, the the Browns are enjoying their winless start to the season than the fans are. Uh, that was not well received within the w- within the locker room, and especially by Duke Johnson. He absolutely wanted a piece of me. He mean mugged me for like the next six weeks. Mm-hmm. Get Just- that ass. <laughs> <laughs> Play it again, Sam. 
He Get he wanted ass. us. Get that ass. Yes, he did. <laughs> hey, Darren, I mean, wait real quick. Did he ever? Get that ass. No, he did not, okay. thankfully. Right. Because yeah. I am sitting here right now being able to <laughs> tell true. this. I, I lived to tell the story. But it was made very, very clear to me uh, from folks uh, within the Browns that the uh, locker room was very displeased. And I said, well, you know, I'm a little displeased that every time we conduct interviews, guys are running around dropping F-bombs and we can't use any of the tape. Guys aren't doing the reps and pride. I just thought it was important to show the fans why the team sucks and the unprofessional atmosphere that exists in the building. And so they didn't like that either? They didn't appreciate okay, that either. So, um, um, so I feel you, but I'm, I'm just telling you, you're you. I don't think the Trubisky's are inviting you to Thanksgiving dinner. I don't think if that it they're... was in fact them. I want to throw that out. I, I could be wrong. It could even it, if it wasn't them. Could I'm just telling a you, Trubisky adjacent. Don't don't be expecting a Christmas card from them. It just you know. So what's funny is I don't I don't really like feel the need to take back the take because the take is sound. Like and that's but <laughs> oh, like no no no. no. But, I, but but I, I didn't did. walk mine back. I stood by it. But I I was like. I feel bad if it hurts your feelings. That's how I okay. felt. Like, okay. See, I didn't even feel bad. I'm like, I don't care your feelings are hurt. Well, okay. In that I case, think you guys are a bunch was of- a first, ba- uh, yeah. first class ass clown, so I don't care about that right. either. I'll, I'll, I'll badmouth Kenny Britt from now to the end of time. Dwayne Bowe, too. And, you know, I got a couple other guys from that era that I just didn't like because they, they vexed me. But Mitch Trubisky, it's not your fault you're not good enough. <laughs> As a quarterback in the NFL. Get that's, that ass. I'm not trying to. Get that ass. I'm trying to bridge the gap with. Get that ass. I'm trying. 216-474-0092. You're so not getting a Christmas card. That's true. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.